0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: It's Kevin and Quarry. We'll have some classes at times. Hey! Hey, I, uh, hey! We're calling the f- plays, alright? Hey, we gotta run the ball. Oh, f- f- on, yeah, hey, so right, on 93.5 107.5 the fan Allen and Turner will jump center Indiana wins the tip and immediately scores Turner tapped it into the forecourt he caught it at the right edge of the arc and drilled a three something Eddie that you just don't see every day
2: you don't, because that was the fastest three-point shot to start a game in the history of the National Basketball Association last night at the Fieldhouse, and it broke a record that previously held, was previously held marked by? Oh, geez, I don't know. Reggie Miller. Oh, well, there you go. So the Pacers surrender one record to claim another, and most importantly, go on to win 135-126. to 126 over the Cleveland Cavaliers just one of the many things we will get to this morning on a Friday. Good morning to you. My name is Jake Query. That was Mark Dyken you just heard from. This is Kevin Inquiry at 935-1075 the fan. Jake, that's wonderful. But I'm a new listener and the show's called Kevin and Inquiry and you just mentioned a fellow named Mark and your name is Jake Query. Uh, that's because Kevin Bowen who will be back with us on Monday is on vacation. Mark Dyketon, who is normally flying the plane, capably slides over into that seat.
3: You think Kevin did a celebratory, like, skinny dip after the Pacers won yesterday? Because his win total is... It's getting close.
2: Uh, Kevin put the over-under of 30, correct? Correct. He's at 19 already. Yeah, he's in pretty good shape. He's I'm, looking good. He was in pretty good shape. But although... He sounded a little under the weather last time we talked to him. So he almost choked
3: dead. to death, I think.
2: Yeah, Remember, we sure. got concerned. He was skinny dipped or not. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton, 29 last night. Buddy Hill had 25. The Cavs on a three-game losing streak. Donovan Mitchell had 28. Jarrett Allen, 19 points and 14 boards. But a good win, certainly, for the Pacers. Uh, the weekend is upon us. It's crazy, too, Mark, because I thought about this as I was walking out this morning. I the week literally began, even though we were coming out of it on Monday, granted, but, and I know I'm stating the obvious here that everybody talks about, but I mean, it is unbelievable to think that, I wore shorts yesterday. Yeah. Right? hmm I walked
3: morning. out with no jacket, I'm like,
2: no need. <clears throat> right, it's like 55 degrees outside, yeah. so if you're on your way out this morning, uh, it is warm, a little bit damp, so be careful on your drive, you obviously got still probably some snow and stuff melting off, but, I mean, mid-50s literally an 80 degree difference from a week ago
3: yeah which is wild like that that's the midwest for you because it's like i was worried about my pipes freezing a week ago and i was like how the hell are we gonna get up to illinois for christmas and this week it's kind of like okay it's like it's like a a march a march morning i'll take it yeah hell hell yeah i'll take it of course um since we
2: wanted to start with this since we last spoke with you Yesterday, the news came out of the loss of probably, and in my opinion, there are really only. I was born in September of 1972. And in my opinion, in my lifetime, not to make, you know, obviously anybody listening, there are varying lifetimes, but in my lifetime, I think it is safe to say that it is a three-horse race if you were to list the most recognized sport icons globally who lived and or performed or achieved their fame, somewhat crossing over in the time frame of my life. Now, Pele, by the time I was born, was not only already a great soccer player, but was really in the twilight of his career. I mean, it would be disingenuous for me to say that I ever actually saw him, you know, perform. Obviously, you know, he won three World Cups, but all of that was, uh, you know, the last one being in 1970. So I did not see that. But Pele, to me... And I was not, as a kid, I grew up in an era in this country where soccer was not at the level that it is now. And when Pele signed with the New York Cosmos, that was, I think a lot of people felt like in 1975, it was, you know, here it is. Soccer has arrived. Pele is here. He's playing for the New York Cosmos. But he was also at that time, you know, in his mid-30s. So he was in the twilight of his career at that point. But he was undoubtedly, in my entire life, I don't ever remember a time of not knowing of Pele. And the name Pele became synonymous with soccer. And there are very few athletes that achieve, at any point throughout the course of their career, a transcendent fame where their name becomes synonymous with their sport. I think to a great extent for a long period of time, Mark Spitz was that. To a great extent, you know, there are other, Edwin Moses maybe for hurdling, but those weren't sports that were of the global stature, obviously, of the most popular sport in the world and the most widely played sport in the world, which was soccer. But the other thing about Pele that I think probably made him such a connection to so many people was that to be fair, and I mean this as no disrespect to him, but to be fair, he was an individual off the playing surface who did have conflict. He, you know, he was married, but had all there were, there were kind of always rumors or, you know, scandals in terms of his personal life with other women. There were children with other women. There were paternity tests that he denied for a very long time. And in addition to that, though, he also served as an ambassador of sport for soccer. I think that he was globally, you know, a lot of those things that Pele, the off the field stuff, was was over, overridden, if you will, rightly so, by the grace with which he represented his sport. And I think that the flaws within him were forgiven or overseen because of, for the most part, the grace in which he was an ambassador of his sport. But for Mark, for me personally, there was never a time that I can, I mean, literally when I was eight years old and I played soccer at the Jordan YMCA for one year, mind you, uh-huh. you know... Anybody that was good, you would say, oh, look, it's Pele. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, he his name, and I realize that now, for young people, I realize that would be Messi or Ronaldo, or, you know, there have been other names that have come along. But he was the first. And, you know, he was born in 1940, actually born two days before Bob Knight, for what that's worth. Um, Edson Arantes de not I hope I'm saying that correctly, but when he was a young boy and showed a soccer acumen, he played in the first World Cup at the age of 17, but there was another soccer player, apparently, by the name of, I believe it was Bele, Mm -hmm. who when he was little, people called him, they're like, look, it's a little Bele, which became Pele, and thus became his name. He also, interestingly enough, And this is the the, really, I think, the sign of true transcendent greatness and aura. Pele, at one point in his career, became socially active and socially aware and was criticized and somewhat polarizing because of what were believed to be far-left opinions of things. Then later... He became polarizing because of what people thought to be far too conservative in his viewpoints. And then in his final like, political statement, if you will, he reached out to Vladimir Putin to express his disapproval of the, the war with Ukraine from the Russian standpoint. So he was very globally aware of the voice that he had. And I think it's interesting that the voice that he had was critiqued from both sides of the spectrum at different points in his life, which probably shows an objectivity on his behalf, but also the ultimate sign of one's transcendence when the way that they stand is seen from different prisms depending on the viewer.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I remember playing even youth soccer. I was probably like six years old or whatever. I remember, a coach was like, "All right, who wants to be the next Pele?" And we're all like, "Who's that?" Like, you know, you hear that's the first time. You, but it was it was synonymous that like the first time you touch Correct. a soccer ball, that was the name that he was associated with with the game itself. And I mean, he has records that are just you know, I mean, Messi just passed you know one a couple of years ago and everything. But he has long-standing records that. You know, a lot of guys will never achieve. You see a lot of the best players these days wear the number 10, which is the one that Pele wore and as, as well as Diego Maradona. So um, you'll see, you know, plenty of guys wear those jerseys in honor of them because there's historical aspects to those that, you know, that just goes throughout. Yeah, Pele gone at the age of 82. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was an icon in the sport, an icon in the world. Uh there's not much else you you can say that you know hasn't been said already with how great he was.
2: I actually asked, yesterday I asked Tony Cadon when this news came out, I asked Tony Kanaan, I said, who is a bigger national hero in Brazil? Ayrton Senna or Pele? Now keep in mind that when Ayrton Senna passed away, and granted, Ayrton Senna passed away in the prime of his career as a Formula 1 driver at the top of his game as a world champion. Um, and, and, you know... Obviously, unexpectedly, he didn't grow to be an old man, and that automatically is going to elevate probably one. So when he passed, Ayrton Senna, there were like three days of national mourning in the country of Brazil. But again, there wasn't, and I hate to say it that way, there wasn't preparation for it, for the loss. Right. Tony Kanaan also being a race car driver, Ayrton Senna would be presumably Tony Kanaan's ultimate idol, and Canaan like instantly, like five seconds after I texted him, Canon texted back and said, man, that is like probably too close to call. I mean, 1 and 1A. I think you're, you're talking, when you're talking about Pele and Ayrton Senna in Brazil, you would be literally talking in the United States, Muhammad Ali and Michael Jordan. Yeah, uh, You know what I mean? I mm-hmm. mean, it's it's literally um, probably safe with whichever way, whichever way you go.
3: Do yourself a favor. That. Go down the YouTube rabbit hole and watch some Pele highlights today or during the holiday weekend. I did that last night. And I was like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "It's watching Pele highlights." It was incredible.
2: Was well, he probably just on a totally different field from everyone else,
3: right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just you're just watching him go and you're just he's doing he's doing stuff with the ball that, you know, you don't hardly see even these days. So, it was, it was phenomenal. Do yourself a favor.
2: Uh, did you watch any of Purdue last night? The Boilermakers is now 13 and 0, number 1 in on the land. Florida A&M, I, you know, the the relief here, I guess for Purdue is when you go into a game like that, you know, you don't have a whole lot to gain because Florida A&M, very underwhelmed, 2-8, and eight, or overwhelmed, I should say, in an mm-hmm. underwhelming 2-8 and eight coming into the game. But for Purdue, a chance to kind of go with, you know, and get maybe some run for guys that wouldn't normally get it. But they did what they're supposed to do, right? They go out, you take control early. Zach Eady with another double-double. Trey Cop and Wren continues to play well for Purdue. As they get set for Big Ten play, did you watch any of them last night? I watched
3: a little bit. I was I was doing like the two TV thing where you do. I had Thursday night football going. I had the Pacers game on and everything, but I was checking in on the Purdue game as well. But yeah, they took care of business. That's all you can ask for when you're when you're undefeated and you're number one in the country. The last thing you want is a surprise game to sneak up on you. And Florida and A&M now two and nine. I mean, they took care of business. They've got plenty of. Uh, <laughs> they took care of business. And just routed them completely, and now they can move to 14-0, turn the calendar to the new year, and hope they keep that number one ranking. But yeah, I mean, checked in a little bit, didn't do too much, but it was good to see a lot of the guys that normally don't get much playing time step it up for Purdue.
2: Uh, Ed Cooley in Providence went into Hickel Fieldhouse. Really, no issue with Butler, 72-52. The Dogs now. Boy, 0-3 Butler's in the league.
3: having a rough, rough year. Yeah,
2: eight and six overall. I rough year is a good way to say it, right? Chuck Harris with ten. They didn't get good backcourt play at all. Uh, That that league, I I always felt like, and certainly there's plenty of time for this to be proven to be incorrect, but I always felt like the perfect league for Butler was the Atlantic 10, and that when they jumped to the Big East, it's just a different style, it's a different size of player. I don't know, man. I was always weary of that move to the Big East.
3: Yeah, I mean, and yeah, we kind of talked off air about it. It's kind of like but Butler's in this weird, weird predicament now where they're kind of, they were, you know, the Kamar Baldwins of the world are, are not with the team right now. So they're kind of in almost a transition and stuff. And now you see Purdue kind of taking cont- taking the reins as far as, you know, number one in the country and all that stuff. You've got IU. So the Butler's always kind of playing third fiddle to those two teams. And then when they're struggling like they are, it's kind of like, you know, <laughs> out of sight out of mind almost by the way i
2: had several people yesterday which i appreciate uh send me photos of them oh, enjoying no. for the first time a zero bar
3: yeah i had a couple dms that's delicious oh, it's all right i mean it's fine but you here's the thing my point being you you'd never had one right never had one. And zero then, zero bars in my right.
2: life and so once you tasted it weren't you like well wait like because i always assumed it was probably like absolutely the most horrific you know a good example would be the candy bars not candy bars but some of the breakfast bars that are yogurt covered
3: oh yeah and
2: you taste them and you're like, Ew. like yeah like it has like kind of a like a soury taste so like a zero bar i always assumed i'm like it's got to be some crap like that right then you taste it and you're like this thing's good
3: like i said the name of it and the and the wrapper on it is kind of unappealing because like i said the name zero indicates it's like a health bar and then the coloring of the wrapper makes it look like Philadelphia cream cheese. I'm like, I don't know what I'm getting in this thing. So
4: that's James, why I think tried I was it, right? away.
3: Yeah, I did.
2: It was okay. Same. Okay. So here's the burning question for either of you. Will you ever again, if you're at a gas station on a, on a road trip and the zero bar is sitting on the counter and you're like, I'm looking for a candy bar, would you contemplate the zero bar? Mark? I would
3: contemplate
2: it. I don't know if James. I would buy it.
3: I think I have to agree with him. I'd think about it, but I'm not sure if I'd actually buy it.
2: So you need Dean from the Pacers to drop more off. Is that well, what you're saying? I mean,
3: it was good, but I was it was it was fine. It was just it was something where I was like, okay. But again, I think it's the white chocolate. I'm not a huge white chocolate fan or dark chocolate for that matter. It's gonna be milk chocolate, but I think the white chocolate kind of threw me a little bit. I was like, if this was just regular chocolate, I think if it was milk chocolate. I'd be all in. All right, fair enough, fair enough. Um, so what did you do last night, Mark? Anything exciting? Like I said, uh, was right now. Well, you know, we went over yesterday. I went, I did my. Uh, Top five best moments of Indiana Sports. I was putting the uh the final touches on the top five worst moments. And let me tell you, it was a lot easier to write that list than it was the five best moments in Indiana sports. So I was doing that, watching Cowboys did you just, and Titans. Did you just recap the last
2: five Colts games?
3: I mean, it was really hard not to just make that entire list all Colts, to be quite honest. I was like, I, I was trying to decipher. I was like, I can't make it all Colts. Like there's other things that happened, but yeah. The Colts are pretty prominent on that list, needless to say so check it out it's on 1075thefan.com the website you can check it out there it's on the twitter page on the kevin query website as well uh check it out but yeah don't be surprised of uh if you see the colts quite a few times on there
2: now are you aware of this story with this you you follow ufc and that kind of thing right somewhat yeah so this fella that got in the spat with Greta Thornburg, uh-huh. what, is, what is he exactly? I have no idea. i would never heard of his name before. Is, Are
3: you talking about Andrew Tate? Yes. Yeah, so he was a former kickboxer. Um, but no, not
2: not like a UFC kickboxer.
3: No, no, I can't remember what he fought for. Um, but he became like an uh, influencer or whatever that is. Um,
2: yeah, No and, one knows what that means, yeah. yes.
3: And I think he got arrested in Romania yesterday. Well, so you know what happened here, right? Yeah.
2: So what happened was he and his bro- so andrew tate who i learned this yesterday and i find this fascinating andrew tate's father pardon my naivete and if this was common knowledge around the hoosier state my apologies his father was a renowned chess player who was like an indiana state champion chess player and so andrew tate lived part of his youth in goshen indiana before moving ultimately to england and during this time in which he has become a social media influencer he took on almost this this caricature or reality i guess of toxic masculinity and like in your face controversial like you know i'm a man and i you know i drive big trucks and and i fly fast planes and etc And so Greta Thornburg, who I think most know, is a young girl, European, who has gone around the world speaking on her concerns about climate change. I believe she herself has gone on record about how she's on the spectrum. And so, you know, she's she's obviously very, like, when she speaks, she's very deliberate. Well, at any rate, he decided to poke fun at her on social media, and she clapped back at him with a fairly witty comeback
3: which you can't say on air
2: correct (laughs) and then he like 10 hours later responded to it and people were like wait a minute like you had 10 hours and that's the best comeback you could come up with he basically came back with like yeah well you know i know you are but what am i Mm -hmm. right and so he then at this point of this story unbeknownst to many people myself included he was being sought by police in Romania, where he now lives, for allegations of kidnapping and sex trafficking in Romania, but they didn't know his whereabouts. So as best I understand it, unless this is hyperbole, which it may be in today's social media world, who knows, but he posted a video mocking Greta Thornburg and in the video he had sitting in front of him a pizza box which, if you zoomed in on the video, revealed his address. Boy. To which Romanian officials used that to pinpoint his address, raid his residence, and arrest him for
3: sex trafficking. was there a show back in the day on Fox It was like, World's Dumbest Criminals? That's pretty... I mean, that's... that's what Chuck one... Chuck it up right there. If your address is on the pizza box, then that's what busts you.
2: I think it also just shows that karma's more than a record store. Yeah. You know what I mean?
3: Mm-hmm. So yeah, I found that interesting when I found out he lived in Indiana. I'm like, really? Yeah, that is surprising. I saw that tweet that you sent. I was like, what? <laughs> okay, right. I mean, it all comes back to Indiana. Why not in Indiana, Indiana,
2: baby? Why not, why Indiana? Why not Indiana? That that is that is the worst possible endorsement for my campaign. <laughs> of why not Indiana? Your trademark saying. I, you know, I tried to trademark "Why Not Indiana." I thought you did. It. They blocked it. Oh. They blocked it. Why would they do that? I didn't have a proper graphic design uh submission by the way um it's still pending though so nobody else tried to try to do it because i've got first rights on the
3: app. what just the does the why still still work it goes right to our website there go see? if you go to why not see what happens you can check out the five worst moments in Indiana sports. <laughs> that, that's right. Do that.
2: Uh, we'll get you set with the morning check down. Let you know what's going on or what happened last night around the world of sports. We'll go a further dive into that next and then upcoming on the program today. Greg Regstraw will join us at 8 o'clock. Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts. Mark, that's at what time? That's at 9. 9 a.m. On a Friday leading into, and again, I go back to, is it cool that New Year's Eve is Saturday, or do we wish that was like on a Wednesday? I kind of hate that these holidays are on the weekends. It does
3: That kind of blows. It,
2: it does. <laughs> kind of blows. Especially because New Year's Day is Sunday. Yeah. So New Year's Day to me is always a letdown day anyway. I yeah. don't know why. And then combine it with the fact it's a Sunday, and then on Monday you go to work, and you're like, it's January
3: 2nd, and like, here <laughs> I know. we go. Here yeah, we I, go, I, right? Yeah. I, I can't think of a worse way. Worst place for these holidays to fall and then on the weekends. You know
2: what? I guess it would be the only thing worse than the fact that we're going to have a Monday where we return to work and it's only the 2nd of January would be if we had real jobs and had been off this entire time and the day that we return to work is January 2nd, yeah. the Monday, I'd be like, oh my gosh. I mean, I realize you're returning to the, to work on the 2nd always anyway, mm-hmm. but if it's on a Friday or a Thursday, you're like, sweet. Yeah. Punt day, right? Yeah. not Nope. Full week full week right out of the gate but it is a friday so celebrate that on new year's eve eve you're listening to kevin and query 93 5, 5, the fan
0: whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you
1: A morning Checkdown brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStatesports.com on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Last night in the association
2: at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, it was the Pacers. Good win, 135 to 126 over the Cleveland Cavaliers. Tyrese Halliburton with 29, Buddy Hill had 25, and the fastest three pointer to start a game. In NBA history, eclipsing a mark that had been previously set by the Pacers' Reggie Miller. But the highlight of the game came in the fourth quarter when Aaron Neesmith, who was starting to come into his own, found an opening on the baseline. Here's how that sounded. Halliburton directly on top, left edge. Heald is unconscious. Let's see what he does here. Sends it to the corner where
1: Neesmith drives to the goal and with Allen wins. The front of the rim. He went up and threw a sledgehammer right down on Allen.
2: Goodness gracious, Jared Allen. Wow. It's going to be a long night. 121-119. Again, Pacers went on to win 135-126. Mark Boyle, Eddie Gill, Pacers Radio Network last night. Back to Smith, starting to kind of find his footing, a player that was brought over in the trade from Malcolm Brogdon with Boston. And I think a lot of people felt like when he came here, he was a young player out of Vanderbilt. There were some question marks about what kind of minutes he was getting in Boston and whether or not he really was ever able to show exactly what he could do, really at no fault of anybody's, just based on the logjam of players that Boston had. So he goes out last night. Has 22, including that dunk, and again, known for his defense, kind of taking on any role. But here's Aaron Neesmith when asked about his posterization, if you will, of Jared Allen. First
5: half, I drove down the middle, um, and I tried to make a pocket pass, and Miles turned it over, and um, they told me to dunk it. So, you know, next time I drove to the basket, I was on the top of my mind just to go dunk the basketball. (laughs)
3: Yeah. easy enough right yeah how about the Pacers by the way 56 percent from the field 61 percent from three-point range that was an impressive that was a fun game the one thing about uh Jared Allen by the too. way
2: people could talk in Smith, seven to ten from the floor for 22 people could talk about Jared Allen being quote-unquote posterized but I always say you know what to be posterized means that you've got to actually have both the athleticism and the fortitude to try to defend the rim yeah Better than just getting the hell out of the
3: way, right? Nothing wrong with that. And then you also probably get some residuals from the poster sales. Right? That's
2: true. Right? That is true. Actually, uh, Scott Skiles. I remember once when Scott Skiles was with the Pacers after a game. I was a ball boy. This was in like 1989. And some kid was like... Hey, Scott, Scott, we signed my poster, and Scott Skiles was like, I don't think I have a poster. And the kid unrolled it, and it was a poster of Jordan dunking, and Skiles was <laughs> ducking. down.
3: <laughs> True story. Do they, do, people still put po- do they sell posters? Do people put posters up good question. on their wall? I don't know. I have, I have a bunch of them, but I don't I don't know if they get used. Just a NIF now, or whatever the hell is. What, what are those are. A NIF. NFT, is that what you're saying? NFT, thanks. Yeah. I don't want any cartoon monkeys, thank you. College Hoops last night, number one Purdue, took care of business against Florida A&M, 82 49 Purdue now off until the new year when they take on Rutgers. Elsewhere around the local teams, Providence thumped Butler 72-52. Robert Morris edged Purdue-Fort Wayne 75-70. Indiana State routes Evansville 91-63. Indiana over Southeast Missouri 86-81. Drake topped Valparaiso 68-63. Tonight, uh, Notre Dame- gets on the court taking on number 14 miami uh the hurricanes riding an eight game winning streak that game tips off at two o'clock today
2: uh back to purdue by the way after that 82 49 win matt painter now knows that the schedule in terms of the pre-conference is behind him and now it's on to the big 10 where the preseason prognostication certainly did not have purdue towards the top of the conference certainly didn't have them ranked number one coming into it matt painter your thoughts now on conference play
5: This is just the start of it. Like, you know, all the teams are going to be able to guard. All the teams are going to be physical-like, you know. But there's just a lot of weapons across the board. And we lost a lot in our league, but then you see other guys improve, new faces that are really good. Um, So every night's going to be a chore.
2: Again, Matt Painter on the Boilermakers heading in now to Big Ten play. When we come back, again, Greg Rekstra, about 30 minutes from now, but did we see last night more reason why – the Colts might have made some tactical errors back between Halloween and Thanksgiving time. I'll explain. We'll get into that when we come back to Kevin and Quarry on a Friday. Good morning to you, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
1: You are listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5.
3: The Fan. Last show of the year. It's Kevin and Query. Mark Dykedon in for Kevin Bowen, who's enjoying the, I think, sun in Florida. I don't know. They had, a, they had a cold front go through. He said it was like 50 degrees, but he'll be back on Monday. He's enjoying the Florida with his family. Mark Dykedon, Jake Query here as well. Last show of the year for Kevin and Query. Uh, we're going to talk a little Colts here. And you wanted to get into that. You thought they made a tactical error. Uh, about a month ago
2: yeah i'd like to begin by saying uh good morning to jeremy who is probably our most loyal listener and just um sent to me that he is listening to us he had the he has the youtube youtube stream up looks like he's at home uh but jeremy interacts with us virtually every morning and it is much appreciated very much uh appreciate everybody that is tuning in this morning colts Getting set for the New York Giants, that game, to be honest with you, unless you are trying to win the prize of Jim Irsay's plane to go spend New Year's Eve in New York City, which, by the way, I've met, I don't know, 50 people in the course of my life, having lived in New York City, by the way, in coll- in college when I did my internship there. But I love, love, love New York. And still have friends in the New York area. 50 is probably a high number, but I've met a, a, a significant number of people who have done New Year's Eve in New York City on Times Square. Every single one of them has the same summary
3: and recap after the fact. Wouldn't do it again? Cool to do it. No way I would ever do that again. See, my wife wants to do it, and I'm like, Ashley, there is no way in hell I have any desire to want to do that on New now, Year's what Eve. What
2: would be your obstacle with it?
3: Uh, to be there on New Year's Eve, because she wants to do the, like Times Square thing. I'm like, but you that's gotta, what like, I mean. Stand
2: there for twelve let me, let me, hours. That's like, the thing. So no, when you. I say that, I'm talking about. Look, New York City is the most magical city in the world. New York City. I actually, because I, you know, I talk to people now. They're like, I'd never go to New York. Da, da, da. I'm like, I, I feel sorry for people that can't appreciate and enjoy everything that New York City has to offer. It's it's unbelievable. I mean, literally, the thing about New York to me that is amazing that I love so much about it is like when I lived in New York, I lived in Greenwich Village and I worked in Times Square. Actually, the Viacom building was in Times Square. And every time I go to New York, Mark, I find a different neighborhood. It's like that Seinfeld episode, not to reference a 30 year old show, but there's that Seinfeld episode where I think it's George or no, it's Elaine finds like her the bizarro world, which is like kind of like her life, but uh-huh. on the other side of the city. Yeah. When you're in New York City, like the last time that I was there, for those that are not familiar with Manhattan, I'll just put this in Indianapolis terms. So I lived in Greenwich Village on the in the West Village, which would be like in Indianapolis living by in Speedway, right? Mm-hmm. And then the last time that I was in New York, I decided to venture over to, a little bit further, like into the East Village area, and a little bit north of that so now i'm going from speedway into like let's say like franklin township in indianapolis and it's a totally i mean you're like oh my gosh totally different like bars restaurants barber shops everything's totally different mm-hmm. and you're like you forget you're even in the same city it's a magical magical place but the people that i know that have done the times square deal Exactly that. They're like, dude, you got to get there at like 6 o'clock at night. You're standing for – there's no bathrooms anywhere.
3: Right. You can't leave, basically. I've heard people wearing like adult diapers. I'm like, that sounds not fun. it's 20 degrees, right? Right. But for the Colts –
2: and it is cool. I mean, Jim Mercer is offering for I think it was 15 people or 14 people or something like that uh, to go on his plane to enjoy with spending money and enjoy Times Square New Year's Eve in New York City and then go see the Colts and the Giants. Cool. In terms of the matchup between the Colts and the Giants, that's the storyline: is are you or are you not going to be one who's going to fly on the owner's plane? The game itself, you know, a lot of the intrigue is gone because for the Colts, you're completely out of it, right? And you're writing right
3: now a five-game losing streak, and you've got Nick Foles under center again, despite the Monday night performance. So, yeah, I, at this point, if you're a Colts fan, I have to imagine, for the most part, you're rooting for losses. You want to up that draft stock? I don't think anyone's rooting for wins, are you? If you are, let us know two three nine ten seventy. But I don't think anyone's the majority of people. There's no way you're rooting for a win at this point. Four um, and ten. What what's a what's a five and eleven season going to get you? Yeah, uh, uh, draft. I mean, obviously
2: the draft is impacted at this point. But where I think the Colts made a tactical error, and twenty years from now, when when We look back on, if I'm still here, we look back on the 2022 Colts. And the thing that I will say is, I will go back to, I know they got off to an odd start. Because I was in Laguna Seca for the IndyCar race, and I remember going down to the TV compound to get keys to a golf cart to go to my broadcast location, and literally... The guy comes up to me and goes, dude, you're going to have plenty to talk about tomorrow with this Colts game. And I go, yeah, I know they're, they're down 20 to nothing
3: Yeah, to the Texans.
2: That feels like three years ago, they ended up tying that game 2020, but it was just such a, I mean, to tie Houston right out of the box and then get blanked by Jacksonville. All of a sudden you're like, what's going on?
3: Well, I just remember the whole leading into the preseason. We're like, there's no way they're going to go off to another slow start. And then the first two games happen like, oh my God.
2: Well, they got their footing a little bit because you know you turn around and you beat Kansas City, and you're showing some competence. You lose to Tennessee, then you win two in a row. That Denver game was not pretty, but they get the win, right? Right. Where they aired and and where last night I couldn't help myself but thinking what could have been was the following. I turn on the game, and Tennessee and Dallas are playing, and Tennessee has guys on the field that I'm not even familiar with. Tennessee's under 500, and the reason why, and I'm like, wait, is Malik Willis hurt? I know Tannehill's banged up. I know. The reason why no one's playing is because Tennessee went with the Bill and we're 14 and 0, and we don't need to go out on the field. We're going to rest to everybody mentality, because whatever Tennessee did in that game was irrelevant to the fact that it can't. It's going to come down for the division and a playoff berth between Tennessee and Jacksonville in the final week of the season. And so whether Tennessee lost last night or won last night because of tiebreakers and other such things, it didn't matter. Everything came down to next weekend against the Jags. So Tennessee had no motivation to play last night. So as I was watching it and absorbing that and mathematically trying to figure out how that all could be, it then dawned on me that heading into the final week of the season. A team in the AFC South with a sub-500 record is a game away from winning the division and going to the postseason. Not when, only
3: sub-500, on a six-game losing streak.
2: Yes. And when the Colts were 3-3-1, three, three and one, they punted the season. Yep. They literally said, this isn't working. We're going to put in Sam Ellinger because it gives us our best chance to win. They lose two in a row they fall to 3-5-1, and one. they fire their coach, they get a win against the Raiders, and then the bottom completely falls out. So the Colts were doing one of two things. They were doing one of two things back when you were figuring out what your kids were going to go as for Halloween and making sure that you had enough candy, what the Colts were doing at that point. Was basically one of two things. They were either saying there's nothing to be gained by again winning the division and going in and getting our doors blown off at Buffalo or Kansas City or Cincinnati or the Chargers. They either knew right then that they weren't within striking distance at all or they totally misread the division and thought Tennessee was going to run away with it and that they were already too far gone and that the draft. Was what they needed to play for. And maybe that's the case. Maybe they are dumb like a fox. And maybe this was all a roost because Jim Irsay saw Matt Ryan and realized, you know what? That is a Lexus with 175,000 miles on it that looked really good on the showroom floor. And we literally got to 56 and Keystone with it before everything started rattling and shaking and we realized it's done. And maybe they thought, we've done this already. We went out. And we got Phillip Rivers, and he played at a high level, but you run the risk when you sign guys that are in their twilight that you're not going to get them for long. So then we went and got Carson Wentz, and we listened to Frank Reich, and I personally think that Jim Ursay, part of the ouster of Frank Reich was not only that the team wasn't playing well, but still Jim Ursay's sour taste in his mouth from being sold on a guy that he felt totally burnt and misrepresented his franchise the way he wanted it represented, whether you agree with that, whether you think that he was being too critical, whether you think it was too much off-field stuff that came into play, that's all fine. But I think Jim Irsay was totally soured on Carson Wentz, and as a result of that, it fractured not his relationship with Frank Reich, but the way that he could assess Frank Reich as a head coach, and it questioned Frank Reich's ability to make key decisions or prognosticate things and Ursay just didn't want any more of that so they go away from carson wentz then they go with matt ryan and you know here we are
3: with nick Foles. yep here we are <laughs> Ursay mentioning the other day in that monday night thing that he reluctantly gave frank reich a contract extension which was an odd odd thing to say i thought <laughs> why? well you don't have to give him one but why did you so yeah, it's it's been just a complete mess of a season. Again, highlighted in the top five worst moments in Indiana sports. Um, yeah, there's not much going for it uh, with the Colts, but yeah, I can't I can't help but agree that that entire decision making process, when the season was very young, we were in the early stages of the season. It seemed like they were pulling the plug, and we we're kind of looking around like, wait, they're they're doing what now? I mean, we're barely we didn't even get to Thanksgiving, and they were making these decisions. It was kind of like, what's going on here? And obviously they went to Sam Ellinger, realized eh, that's not for us. Then they went to the whole Frank Reich's gone, Marcus Brady's gone. Let's go with Sam Ellinger. Let's go back to Matt Ryan. Jeff Saturday's here. It just it was a it was the snowball effect. It was that decision created this whole snowball and it was all downhill after that. I mean, Matt Ryan did not play well. Don't get me wrong. I'm not sitting here saying
2: that should have been but again, I think they just misread things and so here we are right
3: and and yeah because you saw the titans get off to such a hot start like wow they're really they're like four games up on everybody and then now they're right back they're in second place right now but now they're playing for the division despite not winning a game in almost a month and a half
2: uh i want to circle back to a conversation we began the show with and good morning to you for those that are just joining us um yesterday it is not often That for any of us, whether you are somebody who has the pleasure of talking on the radio about sports or to call in a radio show or to interact on social media or just at the water cooler at work, whatever it might be, it only realistically happens a few times in your lifetime where you are able to reflect on the life and career of somebody who was the greatest ever at what they did. And as I said off the top of the show, I was born two years after the final World Cup that Pelé won with Brazil. He won three of them. He began playing in the World Cup in 1957, at the eight, 57 or 58, but at the age of 17, and ultimately became a three-time World Cup winner with the country of Brazil. And Pelé who, by the way, was born Edson Arantes do Nascimento. I believe I'm saying that correctly. When he was a very small boy and first began playing what he called the beautiful game, he had the skill of a player before whose name, if if I understand this story correctly, was Bile or Bele in Brazil. And so people would say like, oh, he looks like a little Bile, and that became Pele. And thus became his name, essentially, of Pele. And when I was a kid, soccer was not the sport in terms of the American popularity that it is today. Obviously, worldwide, it has always been the most popular sport in the world. And the gap between it and the second most popular sport is as large a gap as there are in any statistical categories you could come up with in sports. But he was unquestionably and undeniably – I mean, that's synonymous. But there are only a few sports, Mark, where the greatest of all time is virtually unanimous. Yeah. And in addition to that, there are a handful of sports that if not for one name, people wouldn't be able to name anyone. And in 1975 – 1980, for those that were not diehard soccer fans, the one name they knew. You know, I played soccer at the Jordan YMCA in 1980. I played one year of soccer. The only soccer name I could even tell you was Pele. And there was never a time in my life that I did not know of Pele. And that, to me, to have the transcendent, acceptance and knowledge of the world that you are the best ever at your sport and for it to be the sport that is the most widely played in the world is an unbelievable accomplishment but the other thing about pele to me that i think is an important part of his story and this coming from me who i'm not a soccer historian i'm not you know i'm not peter wilt i'm not somebody that truly understands the core of soccer but what i know about pele was that Pele was somebody who was unbelievable at his sport, and as we got to know him more outside of his craft, what we saw was a flawed individual, Mm -hmm. and a flawed individual who had extramarital affairs and children out of wedlock that fought in the legal system to prove of his paternity of them. None of that to say that I don't know him as a man. I didn't know him as a man or a person. Simply to say that he was still a human, and yet even with those things that were probably seen by some as character flaw, that was overshadowed by the grace and the love in which he represented his game. And he represented his craft and what he did, not only with a perfection in the way he went about it on the field, but also with his status as an ambassador for the sport worldwide and doing so with an enthusiasm that transcended for those that didn't know his sport to know him and thus have him be an avenue and a gateway to introducing the few countries in the world like the United States that had not embraced soccer already like the Brazils and the Argentinas and the Portugals and the Frances. And in that regard, I think Pele represented the manner in which he lived his life by being transparent to an extent about his flaws but transcendent about his greatness in a way that all of us can look at and and champion in addition to that he was not afraid to speak out on social and political issues Mm -hmm. at certain times in his life he was accused in particular by brazilian people of being too leftist at other times he was accused of being too conservative his probably final mountain in which and hill in which he was willing to stand on was he knew Vladimir Putin and to speak out against Putin about the the war with Ukraine so he was not afraid to use his platform towards what he thought was the bettering of areas throughout mankind and the fact that he did so in a fashion that was viewed and skewed based on the prism of the person receiving it, is the ultimate complement of an objectivity towards standing simply by what you believe as opposed to being always consistent one way or the other. I just think that Pele was one that there are very few times in this life where we will be able to reflect upon the life of a sportsman or woman that had an impact globally on their game and the manner in which we should walk like Pele did. Muhammad Ali would be in that list. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, Michael Jordan is on that list. And that's probably it. In my lifetime, those are probably the three most famous athletes in the world.
3: Yeah. I mean, you said it best right there. I mean, icon, not only in a sport but across the, across the world. Universally known, like I said, I could ask my grandma, like, name a soccer player Correct. and she would know.
2: And there are those... Mark obviously since you know Messi, Ronaldo. I mean there are, Maradona,
3: yeah Diego Maradona yeah
2: there yeah from Argentina right mm-hmm, yep um, you know th- those there are those that have certainly become major global names but a large part of that is because of the the level for the game that Pele brought it and again when he came to the New York Cosmos in 1975 you know there were the the, the popular narrative as i saw, as i have always said soccer's been the sport of the future in the united states since 1970 right 1975 when pelé came here people were like this is it see this shows th- th- this is going to be massive for the united states he was in the twilight of his career at that point but still it was i mean he was 35 years old when he came to the new york cosmos and even then it was a stop the earth moment for sports in the united states because of what he represented. And in a nation of Brazil that, as I'd mentioned earlier, you know, I, I asked Tony Kanaan yesterday, who is a bigger sports hero in Brazil? Ayrton Senna, who died in the prime and peak of his career, unexpectedly, obviously, or Pele, and Canon, who is a racer and thus, you would imagine, probably leans towards Senna, was like, man, that, that's almost impossible. Possible to say. And there were three days of national mourning in the country of Brazil when Ayrton Senna passed away. There should be an international mourning this morning with the passing of Pele, one of the true great uh, sportsmen in world history, uh, certainly of my lifetime, I guess I should say. 82 years old for Pele. Greg Rakestraw joins us next. <laughs>
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: It's Kevin Inquiry on 93.5 and 107.5.
2: The Fan. 8 o'clock hour. In fact, the weekend is here. It is a Friday. I guess the weekend technically will be starting tomorrow, but... uh, Jay Quarry along with Mark Dighton. Kevin Bowen back on Monday. If you are just getting out and about, it is a little bit, I guess you'd say foggy, but uh, balmy. 55 degrees, I think it was this morning, Mark?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Bit balmy. Not too bad. So, not <laughs> not jacket, too, no jacket. not too bad. Either. It was 30 below
2: like six well, days Last ago. week,
3: yeah. But I'm saying compared eh, to... It's compared not too bad. Too I mean, bad. No jacket you. today. Come on, man. No jacket today. It was nice. It's it's awesome. No pipes freezing. No you snow me? you got to watch out for. shorts yesterday walking around. You would wear shorts if it was 10 below. What am I? No, that's the other guy that used to be here. Oh, okay.
2: Uh, <laughs> joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline. You know him from ISC Sports Network. And uh, more notably, this time of year, perhaps I shouldn't say more notably, but in terms of applicability towards this radio station on the Colts Radio Network post game show, Greg Ragstraw joins us. And, Greg, um, I'm going to be brutally honest, man. I know people love watching the games. It's that time of year where you know the NFL comes to mind because it's snowy and cold and blustery and usually at least. Um but what's a storyline for this Giants game? You tell me. There's not much of a storyline for the Colts. Plenty of storylines for the Giants. Um, but
4: obviously the impact of this game is the draft pick and that's it. Um, you know, just because just Playoffs obviously have been gone mathematically now for a week, and our eyeballs for the last five or six weeks. Given how this team has played, um, you know it's it. You almost want to hit the fast forward button to the end of the season, knowing that it's about the monumental decisions about front office and head coach and players and quarterback and offensive line, et cetera. So your point is well made. Um, you're watching this game as a Colts fan out of habit. Uh, out of passion for your team, not because there's going to be some great development that comes between 1 and 4 o'clock on Sunday afternoon.
2: But Greg, to me, the thing, and I talked about this earlier, I want your your thoughts on it. Maybe Jim Irsay knew something we did not. I mean, that's probably, I think that's obvious. He's the owner of the team, so he would have a better feel. But I go back to 3-3-1. Seven weeks in, At that point when they basically jerked the wheel to the right and put in Sam Ellinger. I say jerked the wheel not because it was like a disastrous move as much as just completely unforeseen. So Sam Ellinger comes in, you drop two in a row, you go to three, five, and one at that point, you fire Frank Reich, and now all of a sudden your season is in peril, but I watched a team last night in Tennessee that was able to rest all of their starters because it didn't impact the fact they were still going to play essentially in the AFC South championship game with a sub-500 mark. Did the Colts make a tactical error and make the decision for a change too early?
4: Hindsight's 2020, 20, 20 uh, and, and you can certainly say that. I, I wouldn't say it was unforeseen. I was still surprised when it happened. When they made the move to go to Ryan straight past Foles and then on to Sam Ellinger, but let's not paint the picture. As Matt Ryan was
2: fantastic, totally agree. But for Sam Ellinger, yeah. Sam Ellinger, Greg, damn near didn't make the roster. I mean, let's be honest. Like, and Absolutely. I know that we knew that he was going to, but I mean, it wasn't like he, you know, it wasn't like, hey, this guy's the best. I mean, to go from him right to Ellinger. If you'd gone to Foles and then to Ellinger, that's one thing. But you get what I'm saying, right? It was a – I agree. Matt Ryan was as stagnant as can be and was stuck in cement. But that was a seismic change to go from Ryan to Ellinger, who had never taken a snap.
4: Absolutely it was. No doubt about that. And, yes, looking back on it, if you had stayed the course with Matt Ryan, maybe we're talking about the Colts in a similar situation playing for division championship. Maybe we're talking about Frank Reich being the head coach of the football team. Because, again, let's go back to the two games that Sam played. He wasn't the reason they lost the Commanders game. That that one wasn't on him. It's a big part of the reason why they lost the Patriots game, and that was kind of the game that we saw coming in terms of an ugly performance. You know, rookie quarterbacks on their second start tend not to fare well on the road at Bill Belichick coach teams. So, so yes, when you look in the rearview mirror at 2022, as we often do this time of year, you can wonder what might have been but at the same time, I just don't think this group was very good in the first place.
3: So, Greg, why the reluctance to not go back to Sam, El- Sam Ellinger at this point? Why not see what you got? Because I don't I, think Matt Ryan or, or Nick Foles are the future on this team. But is, are they worried that he might actually get them a win at this point And they're just trying to get the draft pick? W- what do you think?
4: I have no idea. I don't think it's about a draft pick. I really don't. I just, I just don't think that's how this group operates. I've been saying this for the last two or three weeks. Once you got to the bye, once you knew you were not going to be a playoff team, to me there was very little point in playing Matt Ryan or Nick Foles. You should play Ellinger just to get a better snapshot as to what you have going into the offseason. Now maybe at this point it's irrelevant just because you've kind of gone the last two weeks not going in that direction. And you are likely in draft pick territory now – where you can take a quarterback in the first round, and whatever talents Ellinger has or does not have might be largely irrelevant for this franchise going forward because you are probably taking a quarterback in the first round. I hope you are taking a quarterback in the first round. But in terms of a logical explanation as to why it's not been Ellinger the last couple of weeks, Mark, I got nothing for you. Maybe they just
3: really liked what they saw at Nick Foles on Monday night and said, we need two more games of that, please.
4: (laughs) You know, you know you know who liked what they saw from Nick Foles on Monday night? The Los Angeles Chargers. That's they right. really liked what they saw from Nick Foles on Monday night.
2: Nick Foles looked to me like a guy that was like, look, man, he he's like Marshawn Lynch. Like, I'm just here so I don't get fined. You know what I mean? Like, I, I signed here to play for Frank Reich, and it's cool, but, like, let me just write that out. I mean, I'm not trying to disparage Nick Foles' professionalism. He went out and played, but it, it, I don't know. I mean, I think everybody knows at this point it's just kind of filling out the schedule, but – my question becomes this, Greg, and I realize that you, Greg Rakestraw, probably, you know, we are simply prognosticating at this point. But do you believe that if there, if Chris Ballard doesn't believe that a franchise quarterback exists at the spot when they are drafting, will they pull a Cleveland Browns? Um, who uh, who's a kid out of Oklahoma State that Cleveland drafted that was twenty-six years old? Uh, that would be Brandon, Brandon Whedon, Whedon yeah. So when Cleveland drafted Brandon Weeden, you know, after the fact, it was like, well, the clock was running down and we needed a quarterback and we kind of just knee-jerked and it was like we took him because he was on the board and he was a quarterback. Would the Colts do that to take a quarterback just for the sake of taking one or are they only going to draft one that high if, in fact, they feel it is a franchise player?
4: I think, I think it is the latter. But, again, given the fact that the Colts are now – sitting at five, and the general thought is there are three or four pretty solid quarterbacks that are going to be available in, say, the top seven or eight picks. I think there's enough of a cushion there. Again, let's face it, um, signs are not promising uh, against the Giants. The Giants aren't a great team, but the Giants have gotten the most out of their talent during the course of the season. They have found ways to win close games, which obviously the Colts have not done over the course of of the last couple of months. Um, And then you have the Texans game which, you know, who knows how that could go uh, at, at this point in time, uh, even though they are clearly the worst team in the National Football League. So I think discussion is largely moot. I think you are going to get a quarterback at the spot that they are at um, that, that can help this team going forward. But at the same time, no, I don't think they'll force the issue. Just take a quarterback from a PR standpoint. Okay,
2: Better option for the Colts next year based on the personnel that you've been able to see this year um, and the talent – or the depth of their roster better option drafting say a will levis and taking your chances that you can develop him over the next two or three years or bypassing on will Le- will levis signing a Derek Carr type player i know that would have to be a trade and then drafting a generational left tackle to protect him
4: I wouldn't be opposed to the latter. I think the fan base would riot if that's the way that it goes. I would
3: agree. I think so, too.
4: Um, And and again, the analogy, uh, since you and I, Jake, are king of the analogies, um, when it comes to the last three or four years, again, I don't fault the logic of the way the Colts fan the quarterback position. I understand going for the veteran, going for the best available trade or free agent that you could, knowing the pieces that you've got around you, thinking, hey, we just got to be good at the quarterback position, not to, to be great because of the other talent around you. Well, that may not be the case anymore, given the fact you're a four-win football team, 15 games in. Um, it, it is time for a reset. I do think it can be turned quickly here because of some of the foundational pieces that they have in place. But still, you, you got to stop patching the tire. The tire has blown at this point. You got to go and get a new one. Uh, and so from the Colts' perspective, it's time to have a guy that you can build around the quarterback position, not a guy you are simply trying to plug in and hope he fits.
2: And, Greg, I've wondered this. So you tell me your thoughts on it. Greg Rakstra our guest on the Payless Lickers Hotline. The question of going with Nick Foles down the stretch as opposed to Ellinger – I've wondered if that's not perhaps because they still have some areas offensively that they want to assess and evaluate, and they need to see how some members of the offense respond to a guy who has experience and has timing and, and can read defenses, and it gives them a better assessment of what weapons they have for the next quarterback as opposed to evaluating it with a rookie that is kind of learning on the fly, if you will. Does that make sense? The only guy that I can think of that would be applicable to would be Bernard Ryman.
4: Just because you've got Michael Pittman, did you know what he is? Alec Pierce? Uh, yeah, but but Alex, I mean, Alex coming back next year. You know, I mean, Alex going to be here for the next three or four years. Uh, you know, he's been he's been good, not great, but he's shown you some flashes. Again, the guys, and I've been saying this for the last month, not as Ellinger I want to see. I want to see more of Nick Cross. I want to see more of of, of Mike Strawn I know he missed a game because of a concussion. I want to see more of Desmond Patman. You know, the guys that you're like, hey, they've been around for a couple, three years, but we haven't seen much of these guys. Can they be guys that can contribute on a in a regular season you know scenario in the National Football League? We haven't seen them. So if you were seeing more of the young guys on offense, yeah, maybe. Um, the running back spot, I, you know, Zach Moss is under contract for next year. Uh, Deion Jackson under contract for next year. You know, your Jonathan Taylor is going to be your lead back next year. Set the running back position. Um, you kind of have an idea what your tight end room is going to look like, you know, next year in terms of the young guys. And I would love to see them feature Jelani Woods more. He three catches last week looked good. He needs to get the ball more his direction. He's not. So yeah, there's some sense to make of it if the Colts are playing it that way, and they just they just haven't been.
3: Greg, Greg Straud joins us on Kevin Inquiry. Mark Dykton in for Kevin Bowen on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Greg, if you listen to Jim Ursay, Chris Ballard is going to be back as GM in 2023, which means he gets to put a stamp on another draft class, gets to make the franchise quarterback decision, possibly hand out some contract extensions. Has Chris Ballard done enough in your mind to earn another shot at GM for 2023 and beyond?
4: I'm going to leave that up to Jim Irsay. Um When when you look at... at, at six years and you've made the playoffs twice and won one playoff game, that leaves some things to be desired. And again, how the quarterback position has played out, I I really don't fault Chris Ballard for that. I understand the logic behind every move they have made at the quarterback position. But I think it's fair to question him at this point, let's put it that way.
2: Greg, I've I've always said this, and I don't blame Chris Ballard for this, actually. Um, I'm not saying I wouldn't probably be the same way. I can understand I can understand if Chris Ballard thought to himself, I'm not gonna draft a quarterback because for one of two reasons. number one, I'm not gonna draft one just to draft one. if there's not a guy that I think can can play and win for me right now or you know two years from now, I'm not gonna draft him. And number two, we all know that when you as a, and I've said this on this on these airways many times, when you're a general manager and you draft a franchise quarterback, the clock begins and you and you basically ride. Or you you either ride the tide or you sink in the boat with that quarterback. And I totally understand why you would hold that off and stay that as long as you can. So, again, I I just think it goes to this team has been in
4: win-now mode for so long. It has been since the offseason after 2011 where there was even any inkling of a reboot or a rebuild or a relaunch – and even at that time, again, I vividly remember and always will. That was my first year of 2012 of doing the postgame show. So after not being around the team in training camp for two or three years, I was back at Anderson, if not every day, at least a couple of times a week. I remember in one of, of, of Jim's impromptu off-the-golf-cart press conferences when he was asked about you know, his team's chances in 2012 coming off a 2 in season with having not just Andrew Luck, but a lot of other rookies playing key roles like TY Hilton, Vic Ballard, Kobe Fleener, Dwayne Allen. It was almost an entire you know, those guys and Reggie Wayne, man, that was your offense. It was a bunch of rookies. And Jim thought they were gonna be a wild card team. And he was right, they went eleven and five, they were a wild card team. But like, you know, people in the in the in reporters core, you know, like were openly laughing about the fact that Jim thought this could be a wild card team by the time they got to December. So it's just not in the mindset to potentially reboot or rebuild given the circumstances the Colts have had the last few years. Now you are at that point at 4-10-1 with two games left to go.
2: My concern too, Greg... I get it, right? So now you've set the clock back two or three years, whatever it may be, and we don't know. I mean, neither of us has a crystal ball, but I have this this feeling, and I'm biased. I, I totally admit. I will readily admit right now, 8.16 in the morning, Jake Quarry on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan admitted that his prism and assessing and evaluating Trevor Lawrence is skewed because he was a season ticket holder for Clemson when Trevor Lawrence was playing there, watched him play every snap in college, and Trevor was throwing to NFL receivers on Saturdays, right? I I, I totally admit my bias there, but I feel like he's figured it out. The game has slowed down for him. Jacksonville's drafted defensively pretty well the last few years. They have a good young running back, and I feel like the Colts' problem now in the two- to three-year window reset is now they're going to be chasing a team that – potentially can get a grip on the AFC South that they're not going to let go of for five or six years. What say you?
4: And maybe, maybe I spend way too much time with coaches. I am to the point. Everything you said is factually accurate. But, but the Colts have been so bad this year. I'm not thinking about the Titans, not thinking about the Jaguars, not thinking about the Texans. I'm thinking about the Indianapolis Colts. How does this team get better? Because, what we saw this year was so far removed from what we thought this team was going to be, or frankly, even what they have been. I mean, you know, I rattled off the stat. Hey, it's going to be, you know, two playoff, you know, visits in six years. And we can talk about the weakness of the AFC South and the Colts haven't won it since 2014. But even in, you know, the every year other than, 2017, where you didn't have Andrew Luck, which Kobe Brissett's team from week two on, that was a four-win season, too. Other than that, you've been in contention for a playoff berth. You've been in contention for a division championship. Um, you waved bye-bye to contention for a division championship. In a division where the winner is likely going to be eight and nine, you waved bye-bye to that at the end of October. And so right now, the focus can't be on the other teams in the division. The focus has to be on West 56th Street. Get that right and everything else will take care of itself.
3: That's well said, Greg. It's the end of the year. You're it's right, a-
2: you've been around coaches a lot.
3: <laughs> it's our last show of the year. Uh, everybody's doing, you know, best moments, worst moments of the year, this and that. What is the high point of the Colts season and the low lowest point of the yeah. Colts season? <laughs> The, See the, the if you could pick one. Was,
4: the, the high point was the caliber of the preseason broadcast. That's that right. The, that I guy knows go. what he's the doing. The high
2: point comes at the end of the Houston game, Mark. When, when it's over.
4: Yeah. Um, the, 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 the high point, sadly, would be the first one of the year because of whom you beat. Yeah. Beating the Kansas City Chiefs and, and getting to 1 1 and 1. Obviously, team was briefly above 500 at 3 2 1 contact uh, after week number six. It has all gone downhill since that time. Um, the high point would be that. The low point take your pick of, of the New England Patriots or Monday Night Football when you go o for whatever on third down conversions and score three points. That that that's pretty low when something like that happens.
2: Did you ever watch 321 Contact Greg? Was that around when you were I, a kid? I, I,
4: I, it, it was in my bailiwick, yes. It was. It was in my era of PBS viewing on Channel 15 in Louisville as a kid. I think
2: my mom three two one contact is. I'm the to, I have no I idea what that, you guys are talking about. I can about. literally see the
4: see the animation yeah. of the open as as you're singing that song. I,
2: I think my mom like tried to coerce me on several occasions to become a, a regular viewer, and it, it just I know this is going to sound crazy to you. Uh, the math science shows never really connected with my brain. You were more of an electric company type of fella, is that what you were saying? I, when Morgan Freeman used to yell, "Hey, you guys," I thought it was cool. I, you know, I actually did. You like Gumby? Remember that there were like public television cartoons also. Gumby, and then um, they had their own little cart. Timothy something, Tennessee Tuxedo. Did you like him? I uh, was I was more of a Captain Kangaroo. Yeah, that's cool. Um, Ka- yeah,
4: Mr. Green Jeans was cool. Sesame Street, you know, I, I think Guy Smiley has been a huge influence on my career, <laughs> so I tend to lean more more in his direction. Um, you know, if I if I go the non public television, Woody Woodpecker was a favorite yeah, Woody of mine w- Walter Lance,
2: of, buddy of the daily cartoons.
4: Yeah, and I'm not surprised that your mother, the educator, was trying to nudge you towards three, two, one
2: contest. Is Woody about. Woodpecker still around? I mean, I know that like cartoons now, it's all on. Like the Cartoon Network or whatever, but the the kids like you have kids, Greg, Mark, you have kids. Do they know who Woody Woodpecker is? No, no. Oh, he's fat. He's an instigator. He's fabulous. Because those,
4: that, I, I believe the cartoons that I watched on Channel Forty One in Louisville back,
2: they were from the forties. Oh, they're so, all like uh, you don't even realize until you watch it now. I mean, half of them are like World War Two political commentary.
5: It's right I
4: would assume I would assume that those originally aired before feature films on like Saturday matinees, and then were adapted for television soon after that. Yeah, I
2: think that's fair. I think that's
3: fair. I think they tried to do a Woody Woodpecker movie like in the mid 2000, like 2017 or something like that. They did like the 3D really? redo, and I heard it was terrible.
4: Was that right after like the Ladies' Man with Tim Meadows? Was yeah. Was that, that, that like the follow-up to that? Probably.
3: Okay. Tried to do like that and Scooby-Doo and all that stuff. Like, look, kids, these guys are around too. Greg, are you still in Newcastle?
4: I am not in Newcastle. I am back in Broad Ripple. I'll be making my way to Newcastle coming up here. I'll be uh, departing in about 25 minutes or so. Uh,
2: and that's because it is still Hall of Fame Classic, right? Correct. So yesterday was
4: the was the girls' Hall of Fame Classic, which Noblesville won in double overtime in beating uh, Bedford North Lawrence in a phenomenal game. Those two actually had played eight days earlier as Noblesville played in Bedford's holiday tournament noblesville won that game by 10 a little closer last night if they meet for a third time it would be in the girls state championship on february the 25th um but no today i'll have northwood and north davies at 11 followed by ben davis and penn number one and number two in the state meeting the semifinals and then the consolation and championship games take place at six and seven forty-five. the morning session on
2: comcast 81 the evening session on my tv 23 greg In conclusion, Greg Rakestraw is our guest. In addition to, obviously, uh, the number of hats you wear, one of those does heavily involve in the game of soccer. Um, We talked pretty at length earlier about Pele and not only his influence on the game of soccer, but just in general uh, globally in being clearly the most recognized name in his lifetime within that sport. Um, You're around athletes. I, I realize that there would be very few, probably no players playing today that saw Pele, obviously, that saw him play sure. in his prime. Um, but would you agree that at this point he is still probably, to those at the Indy 11 and elsewhere, one of the three to five most famous names that they would know, and I believe still globally the most famous name in soccer?
4: No doubt about it. Uh, and he is he is the greatest of all time. Obviously, we engage in this conversation with Messi getting that World Cup win You know, just a couple of weeks ago, but uh, it it is it is Pelé that that is without doubt the greatest player of all time. Much as seemingly like any you know basketball discussion stops with Michael Jordan, generally in soccer it's with Pelé as well. The only man to have won three World Cups uh, for Brazil, and uh, if you're not under the age of fifty, you don't know the impact that he had planting the flag for soccer in this country. Oh, with the I North mean, American Soccer League and the New York Cosmos. And, and as somebody that you know, had had a chance to broadcast a lot of matches of the second iteration of the New York Cosmos in the NASL days with the, you know, Indy 11, uh, and and that is still one of the most iconic soccer brands globally. And how teams are built now, um, you know, the the Chelsea's, Man U's, Liverpool's, Real, Barca's, Bayern Munich, et cetera, that was how the Cosmos were built. And if you look back at the guys that played for that team, the international stars of, of, of him, Giorgio Canaglia, uh, Johan Cruyff, uh, Franz Beckenbauer, Carlos Alberto, that all played and, all, and, and for a brief period of time together with the Cosmos in the 70s and, and, and the crowds they drew at Giant Stadium and Yankee Stadium, et cetera. It's insane to think that then we went through this wilderness of not really having professional soccer in this country for about 10 to 15 years. After that league fold in the early 80s. So and that's what's been cool to see in this country. I'm sure maybe it's not as much in other countries, but when television stations have shown those highlights the last couple of days, they've often been in a New York Cosmos uniform, which, which is really cool to see.
2: I mean, Greg, maybe I'm going to overstate this. I'm a few years older than you, but not by much. In the mid, up until the mid 90s, well, probably when the World Cup came here in 94. So right. until that point, to the non-soccer enthusiasts in the United States, he was the only soccer player that a lot of people could name. Right. But all of them could. Correct. I mean, that's... I think it was interesting.
4: I was flipping around this morning, uh, and um, the Today Show showed him acting in the movie Victory, the one that Sylvester Stallone was in. Um, I thought that was an interesting choice of highlights. But, yes, <laughs> he, he, he would be the only name that most, that most fans can – maybe back then a Diego Maradona because of the 86 World Cup being in Mexico. That World Cup was at least shown in part on NBC,
2: like somewhat delayed in terms of Saturday and Sunday telecast, but your point is well made. It's like talking about Jim Brown's career and showing highlights of Towering Inferno. Exactly.
4: Jim Brown, the greatest ever the of all time. Here's a movie he made after retiring at the age of here's, 30.
2: Here's a B movie that like 15,000 people saw. God, the I theater. saw Towering Inferno not, as not a kid. Sure. I was like, my
3: parents are <laughs> like, what are you waking me watch right now?
4: I'm, I'm sure the morning show producer of the Today Show has no idea that was a movie and not an actual match that she or he put on television to start their montage today at 7 a.m.
3: That is beautiful. <laughs> I love it. Greg, appreciate you always hopping on with us. Happy New Year to you and the family, and we'll talk to you in 2023. Thanks, fellas. Thanks, Greg. Greg, Greg star right there. Do we need to get. To a morning check We do need to get to a morning check down. Thank you for asking. I
1: can never remember that. The morning check down brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
3: Usually you're like he's craning at, your neck over the, yeah, the computer at, screen. What are you doing over there? We got a check down? Like, yeah, I look do. at
1: you and
2: telepathically and now you're in this other seat and it just completely just throwing you off. off. Yeah, exactly. Uh, last night, off. no throw up for the Pacers. 135-126 over the Cleveland Cavaliers. Tyrese Hallibur had 29. Buddy Heald had 25. Aaron Neesmith had the highlight of the game, a baseline dunk against Jared Allen. He had 22 in that game. Now here's the curveball for the Pacers last night. Rick Carlisle was ejected for protesting what was, uh, he was absolutely right, 100% a non-traveling right. call against Cleveland. So Lloyd Pierce carried them home. The assistant coach Afterwards, Lord, uh, Lloyd Pierce talked about Aaron Neesmith, who was acquired for the Pacers in the Malcolm Brogdon trade from Boston and the fact that he's wearing a lot of hats right now for the blue and gold. You know, he is the ultimate team guy. He 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 plays a role that um, a lot of guys in the NBA are afraid to play, which is you tell him to play the four and guard a big guy, great. You, know, you tell him to guard the
5: elite score, great. Um, you tell him to just go stand in the corner, great. He has no problem with any role that uh, we give him. And for him to be a closer tonight in a game where we needed someone to close this game out, uh, big moment. And and the guys gave him a lot of love in the locker room, and I think we're all excited for Aaron.
3: Pacers moved to 19-17 and on the season. They'll try to mark in 2022 with a three-game winning streak. They take on the L.A. Clippers Saturday at 3 o'clock. Looking over at the NFL last night, we had the Cowboys take on the Titans. Cow- uh, Cowboys won 27-13. Titans rolled with Joshua Dobbs under center. I, I had to look at him. Up. I, was like, I know I've seen them before. Where's he been? He's with the Steelers, and then he's kind of away from football for a little bit. But They thought about the
2: practice squad this week. Yeah, it?
3: yeah, pretty wild. That game was all right. Uh, not too happy because I'm in in—I'm in the fantasy football championship with my wife. She had Dalton Schultz uh, at starting tight end, and he had a pair of touchdowns. So that wasn't good for me. So, uh... Cowboys win. Obviously, we've got the Colts taking on the Giants at 1 o'clock. Another couple of slated games going on over the weekend. We've got the Dolphins taking on the Patriots. We've got the Panthers and the Bucks, which that game's got a lot of implications for the playoffs in the division with that one. Raiders and the 49ers. Packers-Vikings. That's a big one. Can the Vikings please stomp out the Packers' hopes of a playoffs? Please, please, please. And then the big one of the weekend is actually on Monday night. Bills take on the Bengals. That'll be a really good one. Did you mention the AFC South championship game? Which one? The Jags and Texans. That's not till week 18. Oh, that's right. What, what am I looking at here? That, what are you talking about? No, wait a minute. We're in week 17, friend.
2: You're, you're right. I'm sorry. The, the, <laughs> the Jags and Titans.
3: I mean, if you want me week. to go over the week 18 schedule, right. I can, yeah, but that's on. a little premature. The, the Jags.
2: So the Jags game is also irrelevant to them, right? Correct. So the Jags can
3: just rest everybody like Tennessee did. They mean, how could.
2: ridiculous is that? In the division, you've got two teams sub-500 yeah. that can rest because they're still going to be in – because Indianapolis ja- – Jaguars really played the Texans,
3: the by the way, this weekend. I don't know why I was thinking that. Yeah, sorry about that. That's okay.
2: All right, college basketball. Let's get back to that. Purdue, the number one team in the land, winning last night easily over Florida A&M. Zach Eady with a double double to go, uh, to lead the Boilermakers. But now things get real, as the kids say, even though Purdue played a stout Pre-conference schedule, things ramp up in terms of the Big Ten. And Matt Painter talked about just everything that goes into not just the opponent, but all the atmosphere of the Big Ten schedule.
5: You know, it is the only thing that we have as the games that we've played so far. Um, but when you go into a beehive like the rack, or you know, you go into the Breslin Center or Assembly Hall, like that's there's no comparison to a, a neutral game on the West Coast. You know, there just isn't. And, and so, like this is. Um, you know, it's not a little kid's league. And so we're, we're going to find out, you know, real quick. But um, I'm excited about it. I, I think we have some great teams in our league. Obviously, we have great coaches and players. Um, it's going to be a, you know, a fun ride.
2: Elsewhere in college basketball last night, it was Providence over Butler 72 52. Dogs now 0 3. And Big East play; they are eight and six overall. Uh, Robert Morris over Purdue Fort Wayne, seventy-five, seventy. Interestingly, Robert Morris had seventy-five in that game. Indiana State ninety-one, sixty-three over Evansville, Southern Indiana over Southeast Missouri, and Drake over Valpo, sixty-eight, sixty-three. Lone
3: local game of interest today: Notre Dame takes on number fourteen, Miami. Miami's riding an eight-game winning streak. That game tips off at two o'clock. In college football, in bowl games, uh, Washington, Florida State, and Minnesota, all winners last night. Who are the losers? Uh, that would, oh boy, now no, just the scrolled away. It
2: bowl, right? What? They won the Cheez-It Bowl, right?
3: Yeah, Florida State won the Cheez-It Bowl, 35-32 over Oklahoma. Minnesota, 28-20 winners in the Bad Boy Mowers Pinstripe Bowl against Syracuse. And Washington topped Texas 27-20 in the Valero-Alabama Bowl. So that was the three-pack of games Wait, where, there.
2: Where was the Valero-Alabama Bowl?
3: Obviously in Alabama, but where? Birmingham? I'm guessing. I Montgomery? Just, I scrolled past. Mobile? Let's, let's see. Tuscaloosa? Uh, Auburn? I don't know. Who cares Dalton it was probably like 20,000 people there uh, t- today um, though needs I'm running out of Alabama towns Can today you find though out, please no, I'm not looking it up. <laughs> today, though, you got to be a little juiced up. you got your Clemson Tigers taking on Tennessee. That's a nightcap the Orange 8 Bowl 8 o'clock, today. baby. 8 o'clock. You and Jason Hamm are going to throw down on the fourth floor later today. Uh, Wyoming and Ohio battle in the Barstool Sports Arizona Bowl. South Carolina and Notre Dame. Kevin's all lathered up for the Gator Bowl. That takes place at 3.30. Also, Pittsburgh, UCLA, and the Sun Bowl. And, of course, the big one, the one that we should stamp our show's name on, the Maryland-NC State-Dukes-Mayo Bowl. You are so excited for that one! Come on.
2: I, first off, I
3: I can't believe that mayo gets you that disgusted. Then, then yesterday you sh- you're like, "Hey, try this white chocolate nougat bar over here." Zero. Hold on. Hold on, mayonnaise is so
2: incredibly foul, and if it's not foul enough, then you get these people that put relish in it. Now, see, I've never done that. Now, I don't mind relish. Haven't you ever seen like in
3: in like tuna salad? People. I've seen relish? it. I'm saying I've never ha- I've never done that like with it's my mayo. It's
2: bad enough you've got one bodily fluid looking thing in mayonnaise. that's horrific. But then you add the relish, and now you got a double whammy. Okay. And I don't mind relish, but I don't want it. In the the aesthetics of it is horrific. But not only that, and nothing against the the Duke's folk. I'm sure they're fine people. I'm not even if if you're gonna dunk mayonnaise on me, I at least want it to be Hellman's, right? Well, Hellman's is good. Dukes, you know not wrong it's Dukes Hellman's? either. Why? Because when people look at mayonnaise, they go, "Hell, man, I don't want that."
3: Now if we got that's like if we got, if we got if we got if we, we raised that, money for like a charity of your choice, you would get mayo dumped on you, right? That is an incorrect statement. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Listen, your charity of your choice. Listen, raising money for whoever. No. Let me let me tell you a little story here, Mark. Dike. Lather me up in mayo. I don't care. Okay. Well, let me tell you something. I was part of the.
2: Indianapolis Children's Bureau, now Firefly, they do a celebrity cook-off every year at Benihana. I always feel bad because, A, I'm not a celebrity, and, B, these poor people pay decent money to get a table for a celebrity chef thinking that, like, you know, Tyrese Halliburton's going to come out and instead it's some... Dog and Pony Show radio host,
3: right? Hey, kids, I think we're getting T.Y. Hilton. Who's this guy? Right, exactly.
2: (laughs) Who's this dude? Who's the tall, awkward guy? So during the COVID year, they couldn't do it, obviously, in person. Mm -hmm. So they had us do online fundraising, okay? And the fundraising, and and I really wanted to beat uh, that Tony Katz was talking smack. And Julia Moffat always raises a bunch of money for it. And I wanted to find, I'd been in the top three the year before. I wanted to win the fundraising, right? Mm -hmm. The fundraising began on a Friday morning, like 8 o'clock. The thing opened up Thursday night. The night before that, I had a heart attack. Mm-hmm. So, n- not so so in it. So I made a video from my hospital bed, basically saying like, "Oh my gosh, I just woke up and I had, last night I had a heart attack." And by the way, I was supposed to this morning be fundraising, and I can't do it because I'm stuck to this hospital bed. Well, it was a it was a smart fundraising move, right? Yeah. So I'm willing to have literally my my, what is it called, the LAD or the LDA or whatever the the big artery is, I'm willing to have a 100% blockage of that and then have Mottman go in with a a needle and a balloon and and open that up for fundraising purposes for my favorite charity. I'm willing to do that, not have mayo
3: ducked on me. That's pretty extreme. I'm just telling you. That's excessive. If you want to know how much I hate mayonnaise, there is your answer. Boy, let's not do that again duke's mayo bowl by the way 12 o'clock
2: <laughs> that that's why they have it as the duke's mayo bowl because the duke folk know that people are going to talk about the fact that it's mayonnaise 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 right
3: jake saying he wants to have where's, another heart attack and have another where's duke's mayo based i don't know okay well can you find that i out? know a jar of it's in my refrigerator can you imagine if
2: duke was in the duke's mayo bowl now that'd be something wouldn't it that would that would be wild uh, matt taylor going to join us at nine
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: You are listening to Kevin Inquiry on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan.
3: Show correction. We were wrong. Jim Brown was not in uh towering inferno he was in fact though in pacific inferno in That's 1979
2: towering he inferno Fly. was
3: oj oj was oj was doing a lot and he was doing towering inferno he's doing naked gun well but he movie was wise. playing during right he's still in yeah still in professional you know, i remember career. oj simpson
2: um my dad when i was first watching football the 78-79 NFL season was really the first season that I can recall, and my dad taught me uh, a couple of years after that, my dad taught me little word phrases to remember the quarterbacks of each respective NFL franchise, like little word associations. So I would watch the games to see said quarterbacks, and I remember watching the San Francisco 49ers were not very good at all. Um, but they were on a late game once. And so I watched it and I remember seeing OJ Simpson take a handoff. And I mean, it was like a two yard gain or something. And my dad's like, well, this guy's, you know, the, one of the best ever. I'm like, he's terrible. <laughs> well, I mean, I wasn't watching 2,000 yards in a season in the snow Buffalo OJ Simpson. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I right. was seeing. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think I mentioned on uh, as a matter of fact, I know I did. But it's probably worth repeating, um, like Charlie here from IU that that did radio at Carmel High School is in here. For young people that, that don't grasp, understandably, or couldn't grasp, when the OJ Simpson Bronco chase happened and the saga with Nicole and Ron Goldman and the murders with which he was charged and ultimately acquitted... Um, For those that are unaware of Forever, I have tried to think of somebody that could put in perspective how shocking that was in 1994 because of where he was in the American landscape from a pop culture standpoint. And finally, I had the epiphany. So as Charlie is sitting here right now and is like, why did everybody make such a big deal out of O.J. Simpson?" And the Bronco Chase, I know he was a great football player and he'd been in like a couple of bad movies, but but his personality, his self-deprecation, his wit, his charm of O.J. Simpson and the age in which the Nicole Simpson and Ron Goldman and then Bronco Chase happened, he was the exact same age. He was essentially the exact same years of removal from playing and he was the exact same pop cultural reference point to people in 1994 as Peyton Manning is today. Mm-hmm. It is almost identical.
3: Yeah. I, I remember that I was at my aunt's house and we are watching the NBA playoffs run. I think it was the Knicks and the Rockets were playing. And it was the NBC affiliate of Chicago. And they cut in and they were showing this white Ford Bronco going down the highway. And we're kind of like, as a kid, you're like, what are we doing here? An LA chase, okay, and they're talking about it, it's OJ Simpson. My dad's like, "Wait, what?" And like then, yeah, and all that was going on, and then probably the more surprising thing is they did the picture-in-picture, picture, but they put the NBA game in the small Correct. screen, and Correct. they they took over the uh, the whole screen as the OJ Simpson chase, and it was wild. My entire family gathered around the TV because they didn't know what was going on. Do you know that that night, the night of
2: the OJ Simpson Bronco chase? Was at the time now. I believe perhaps it's been surpassed since then. But at the time, it, that was the most lucrative night in the history of Domino's Pizza delivery. People didn't want to leave their television. It started dinner hour on the East Coast and finished dinner hour on the West Coast, and people did not want to lose their te- Leave their television. Um, last night, did you watch any of the Manning cast? I there's a Manning cast on Thursday night. Um. They, well, there was – let me – yeah, I think there was because they sent out a clip of it. Omaha Produ- – maybe it was from Monday. Omaha Productions sent out a clip last night. I, w- I just assumed it was from the Thursday night game.
3: Yeah, you're right. It would have been from Monday night. But but Monday money night was Colts and Chargers, and they, we know that Peyton Manning doesn't do Colts. Yeah, you're right. It, well, last night they sent out Omaha
2: Productions. <laughs> what did you watch? Well, Omaha Productions just last night sent out a tweet. And I just assumed it was from last night's game. Now that you mentioned it, I guess it wouldn't have been from last night. Maybe it was an archive clip. But where Manning, either way, it's irrelevant. Manning was talking about the color codes. Uh-huh. Did you hear – have you heard that clip? I have not. So Manning, Peyton, was talking about – you know, you can catch the audio at the, at the line of the quarterback. And whoever it was was mentioning colors. And so Peyton Manning said to Eli, you know, when I was in Indianapolis, we had color codes for everything. Now, there's a, there's a clip. I actually tweeted it out last night, but there was a clip. NFL Films did a segment on the Colts offense when Peyton Manning was playing called Just Snap the Damn Ball, mm-hmm. and it was about all of the cadences that he would do you know, up at the line and the, the, the pointing to different things and all of the vernaculars that he had that were keys to the offensive line. And what we now know, and I don't know that Manning has ever fully stated what everything meant, but he kind of offers little glimpses along the way and you can kind of piece things together. So one of the things that he offered in this clip that was released yesterday was he was talking about the color code and there's a clip in that segment from NFL films where he comes up to the line and he yells out and he's like, purple, purple, Mm -hmm. Buddha Raiders, Buddha Raiders, purple, purple. He says purple like four times. Well, purple was simply a code to the offensive line, meaning they're about to blitz. I know a blitz is coming. He had, then he said, like, orange meant opposite. So, and at times, I think Omaha also meant opposite. And by opposite, what that meant, and Reggie Wayne had explained this to me once. For every play the Colts called, it had an alternate play. So, for example, if Manning would come into the huddle and say, all right, we're going to run a, you know, BlitzCat 22. They all know, and this is so intricate, but everybody in the huddle knows, okay, BlitzCat 22 is the call. But the opposite to that, the the play that is paired with it is, you know, shuttle 34 right, okay? Mm -hmm. So he comes up to the line and he called the BlitzCat 22 – And Reggie Wayne standing at the line, and Manning looks over the defense and realizes that play is not going to work in this setup that they have. The the setup that they are in defensively right now would completely shut down the BlitzCat 22. Uh So there is a play that's automatically designed to be the complete opposite so then he starts yelling out, orange, orange, orange. And they hear orange, 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 and they know that that means, okay – we're running the opposite of the play that we just discussed or at times that be and then that ultimately became omaha
3: oh interesting
2: so and, and manning i remember reggie wayne when i did a radio show with him explaining that most of the words they had as these key cadences were words that were multisyllabic so that you had a better chance of hearing what it was like if the crowd is loud and he's running up and down the line but then the other thing they had, and I think actually I don't know this, but I think it was I, I think somebody told me at one point that it was Apple. You always heard Manning yell, did you ever hear him yell Apple, Apple, Apple?
3: Once or twice, I okay.
2: think. Okay. So Apple was a was a code to the line or a variation thereof mm-hmm. that meant mute everything I'm about to say. So he would come up to the line. He would know that BlitzCat22 was the play that they wanted to run. He looks over the defense, and he sees this defense is perfectly set up for BlitzCat22 to be perfect. So he then says – he starts yelling out, Apple, Apple, Apple. And Reggie Wayne and Dallas Clark and Edron James and Ryan Deem and Rick DeWall- they all know, okay, I don't have to listen to anything he's about to say because we are set. Mm-hmm. So he then starts yelling out – countering stuff and the defense is going holy cow look listen to everything he's pointing all over the place he's putting guy he's telling guys to go this way that way they know that it's all window dressing and the offense his teammates are paying zero attention to the theatrics of it but the defense is completely freaking out you know like wondering what's going to happen but he doesn't want the defense to change right because he likes the setup that they're in but in case they then shift, then he yells out whatever it might be. You know, purple. They're about to blitz. Orange. Let's go to the alternate, etc.
3: That's why Peyton was so great because he would start pointing at the line, and you'd be like, "What is he doing? Like, what is he possibly saying?" And you see the defense start pointing at him and pointing everywhere else, like, "Get over there, cover right. that guy." And this, well, the and other that. thing, this thing that he
2: would chaos. do, the other thing that he would do, he had when you saw him at times when he would be pointing to himself pulling on his ear or pointing to his eyes those were also codes for play calls because he would know in certain you know they're in they're an arrowhead and it's fever pitch loud so he had he had he had already you know over the course of obviously a, a Gaboon number of hours he had coordinated and figured out with his receivers and his running backs non-verbal codes as well now the line it doesn't matter because the line just knows okay we're running a pass if he's staying from pass to pass right he, the line doesn't matter so it's so loud he's looking down at marvin harrison or or reggie wayne or dallas clark or whatever and he's pointing to different things at his helmet that they also then know what that means there was a science to all of it oh yeah and i think that you know when when manning first came into the league one of the first things he did was he sat down with Tom Moore and just said, okay, let, let this playbook is so intricate and so involved, let's shorten what everything means. Instead of a nine-word phrase for a play, let's just come up with like one word or one code for that and then memorized it. And you got to give a ton of credit, I mean, a ton of credit to his teammates for being able to also understand and know what all of that is. Now... I think I told you, like, Jeff George told me that when he, he had Randy Moss, mm-hmm. and Randy Moss was a young player. Matter of fact, I can't remember if he had Randy Moss as a rookie or a second-year player, but Randy Moss was still really young, mm-hmm. and Randy Moss had difficulty, at no knock in any way, shape, or form to the intellect of Randy Moss. Randy Moss had difficulty understanding what the plays always were, and so Jeff George said he would call plays, and Chris Carter knew what it was, and... And Randy Moss, he would look at him, and George would say, like, just just go out like 40 yards and hook left, man. There you go. Because he was such a freak athlete, you just knew you could do well, it. Well,
3: the Colts could use one word to describe their offense. I have a word for their offense in 2022. and It's a word I can't say on the radio. But we've got Matt Taylor coming up. He'll say a lot Brown. more words in about 10 minutes. You're listening to Kevin Query, 93.5, 5, 107.5, The Fan.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: You are listening to Kevin and Inquiry on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. You got big plans for New Year's Eve, Mark?
3: Uh, Not too much. I I always think New Year's Eve is kind of the blow-off holiday, like... I'll stay up till midnight. Maybe watch some TV, but we don't we don't make a big deal out of it. But which what, one
2: do you watch? Like which?
3: Well, if I had my choice, I know which one I'm watching. My wife won't like it. I, I like Miley Cyrus. I'll watch that one. Excuse me. Yeah. Okay. I got a crush on her, so I'll watch what, what, that what one. What network is she on? She NBC. Does. See, I just. Uh, do you do anything? You and Shannon do anything special?
2: No. Tonight um, is the annual. I I, I I think I'm allowed to say that this is going on the annual new year's eve eve party that bob kavoyan has which is a highlight of the year uh, i absolutely love going to it it's a pleasure and an honor to be invited to it that's tonight uh, tomorrow night i don't i don't know shannon's been under the weather so i don't know mm-hmm. what's planned but um i always watch abc just because when i was a kid dick clark's rocking new year's eve and then for a couple of years it was fun to watch him arm wrestling with ryan seacrest for the microphone yeah and now seacrest does it yeah uh, but i would imagine that's what we watch but i think new year's eve's kind of
3: yeah same thing like i've never I, been a huge fan as a kid like well i'm staying up till midnight and now it's like i can't i wish i could go to sleep at midnight sometimes i can't <laughs> fall asleep <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm with you there uh matt taylor the voice of the colts
0: joins us next Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: What's happening on West 56th? Presented by Shelby Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. We'll find out in 30 seconds.
6: Do you want to work for a company who has your back? You can count on Shelby Materials. Shelby Materials has 10 ready-mix locations in central Indiana and is looking for Class B CDL drivers. Highlights include being home every night and every other weekend off during peak season. Shelby Materials stands behind its work, products, and people. We support our employees with competitive wages and benefits, including 401K, PTO, paid holidays, HSA, and a sign-on bonus. Learn more about your next opportunity by visiting
3: shelbymaterials.com.
1: Now, what's happening on West 56th? Brought to you by Shelby Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts.
2: Nine o'clock hour in Indianapolis. For that matter, it's the nine o'clock hour everywhere in the Eastern time zone. On a Friday, Jake Corey along with Mark Dykton, Kevin Bowen back on Monday. Joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline, as you had just heard. Uh, Coming up later today, six o'clock, as a matter of fact, the Colts Happy Hour can be heard on this radio station, then on... Sunday, It will be the Colts and the New York Giants. The voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, joins us to talk about that. Matt, I'm going to begin by asking you this. We have two games left in this season. We know that obviously it is a year that has not gone the way that the Colts or their fans had anticipated. So in these last two games, sometimes you get to a point where you start looking at Players that might be seeing it as kind of a chance to really cement themselves as a long term solution for the franchise. So, almost like, and I hate to say it this way, Matt, almost like a preseason feel in the last two weeks. Give me a player or two that you're curious to see how they respond to perhaps a new challenge for them to grab a hold of something here down the home stretch.
6: Hmm, good question. Um, I think the guys that immediately come to mind in that regard, be, primarily because of injuries and, and guys being out in front of them, and both of them are, uh, are on defense. I'm going to say Dio at Dangbo on the defensive line, and he's really coming on here these last couple of weeks. And Taekwon Lewis got injured, I think it was about seven weeks ago. And before Taekwon got injured, Dio was a part of that defensive line but he was more of a rotational guy. Now he's more playing starter-like nap counts. I think in seven games since Taekwon's injury, he's averaging about 40 snaps a game. And in his last two games, he's really kind of feeling it, right, trying to get his confidence going. He's got three and a half sacks in the last two. He had a career-high two against Minnesota. And you're starting to see him play like the Colts envisioned and like what they thought they were going to get out of him when they drafted him so high there in the second round out of Vanderbilt a couple years ago, even though he was coming off an injury in the offseason before he got drafted. And so they were really, really high on him. So I think his development and the injury to Tyquan, who's a free agent in the offseason, opening the door for him, that's really kind of helped his confidence. And the more that he plays, the better that he's getting and and more acclimated to the NFL he's becoming – Um, And then also in the back end, you know, with the injury to Kenny Moore and then Isaiah Rogers is going to go on IR, or did go on IR this week. That's opening the door for Dallas Flowers. I don't know if he's going to start this weekend, but he's definitely going to play, and he has played on defense a lot these last two games on top of being a good kickoff return man on special teams. So those two guys are really benefiting from the circumstances in front of them these last two games or the you know heading towards the end of the season. And obviously both guys are young. I mean Dio is a second year guy. Flowers is a rookie. They're gonna be here. They're gonna be here barring anything weird happening in the off season. And it's it's good to see the Colts getting a, a good hard look at those guys. Both guys getting an extended run going into the off season. So the Colts can evaluate them and for their confidence to grow and their experience to grow towards 2023.
3: Matt, how's Ashton Doolin doing? Obviously suffered a vicious hit on Monday night from Derwin James. How's he how's he doing this week?
6: Yeah, my understanding is he's still in the concussion protocol and uh you know when you're still in the concussion protocol on Thursday before a Sunday game, you know, that's that's kind of the uh that's that's, that's a good barometer, a good gauge on, you know, kind of how you're trending. So, um based on what we know now, we'll find out in a couple hours from Jeff Saturday when he gives uh, the injury report going into the game, and we'll see if there's a designation for for Ashton. But my my gut feeling is that it it might be tough for him to get back on the field if he's still in the concussion protocol on Thursday going into a Sunday.
2: Matt, if you were – let's say for the sake of argument that you bring somebody who does not follow the Colts and is not necessarily a huge football fan but follows sports, and you bring them to a practice – in week five and then you brought them to practice this week and that's the only two practices the person has been able to see and they have not followed the team nor their results over the course of the year. Would they see a difference?
6: I don't think so. I mean, as far as this year is concerned, the only difference would be just you know who's running the
2: practice. The personnel,
6: right. right. You know, person, Well, personnel, but just in terms of there's a different head coach, so practice might look a little bit different in terms of of structure and length and intensity and things like that but um no you're, you're not going to see any difference in terms of of guys moving swiftly from drill to drill period to period things like that i mean you're still going to see guys you know busting their tail um you're still going to see you know really i think high energy within the 11 on 11 periods um so that's a really good question i think that's that's the um, you know, the Colts should be commended for that because it, this hasn't been, you know, publicly anyways. It hasn't been the Denver Broncos where you got guys fighting on the sideline and, and 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 guys are pointing fingers and the quarterback is being accused of checking out and things like that. You know, this is I still think you know a pretty tight locker room. Obviously, the results haven't been there this year, but you haven't seen the dissension. Um, you know that you might anticipate seeing with a four and ten and one season. Um, and, you know other teams that are in that boat. You know I've kind of had those moments, and I think to the Colts' credit, they've sort of kept it together. And um, it's just been it's just been one of those year, one of those years. But in terms of practice and organization and and preparation, you know I think it would be hard hard pressed to if you know if you're just coming from Mars, like you said. And you're in a time machine. You go back to week five, and you don't know anything about football. And then you watch a practice today. Let's say, you know, you're still going to see basically the same things. And I think uh, that that is to be, you know, f- to the Colts' credit. And, and unfortunately, it's just, you know, all that work continues to be steady, but they're just not getting those results on Sundays.
2: In terms of, and you touched on it there. Matt Taylor's our guest on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Um, just in terms of the the structure of practices and i don't mean this in a a good or bad way for one way or the other but i'm just curious i think a lot of people are how are things different from frank reich to jeff saturday you know in terms of the day-to-day operations the way that the team maybe they're not i don't know but just the calendar the schedule etc did we lose matt
6: A second, but um, yeah, I don't really think it's it's really all that different. I mean, Jeff's obviously a player's coach, and he understands. I mean, Frank did this too, um, but he understands just sort of the rigors these guys go through, especially here late in the season when you're playing on different days of the week and different times, and you know you got the holidays sprinkled in there as well. So he's given guys the, you know the appropriate time off, and he's going through instead of having a practice on Wednesday this week. You know, there was a walkthrough just to get guys, you know, back into the swing of things after playing late on Monday and, and taking a pounding, you know, in terms of your body, which you always do no matter, you know, when you play, but when you play so late in the week, if you will, in primetime on a Monday, give them, you know, a couple of extra hours or an extra day to, you know, get back into the swing of things and, uh, you know, you have an extra day to recover. So I, I, I think it's little things like that. in In terms of practice, you know, Jeff is going a little bit more, ones-on-ones, 11-on-11, you know, one-on-one with with the top guys, the top skilled players, right, where you're going to see Michael Pittman Jr. in the regular season during practice go up against Stephon Gilmore. You know, you see that obviously a lot during training camp, but not so much um, in in practice in the regular season under Frank Reich. You're you're seeing a little bit more of those types of things uh, under Jeff Saturday. But for the most part, it's pretty similar, and it's just a different atmosphere. It's just a different... You know, the voice and obviously Jeff's big thing is just holding guys accountable. Um, So I I think it's been a change as far as that goes. But, you know, when you're one and five under the interim coach and the interim coach takes over in bad circumstances to begin with, um, it's just one of those years. And so everything's going to get looked at. Everything's going to get examined. And, you know, as you guys said, once the gun goes off against the Houston Texans next Sunday, that's going to start a very busy offseason and it's going to be an offseason full of major changes starting with the head coach and i fully expect i mean anytime you go four ten and one and you miss the playoffs and you can't compete in this you know bad afc south there's going to be a lot of roster turnover and it's going to be an eventful ride for the next four months leading into the draft
3: you kind of set up my next question with that i'm just curious what do you think guy? Front office of the Colts is thinking. Yet last night when they're watching Thursday Night Football and the Titans are resting guys because they have you know a below 500 record, but Week 18 they're facing the Texans and the divisions on the line. That's got to just be like salt in the wound at this point. Correct?
6: Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's we've been talking about it for a couple weeks now. It's it's a very sobering reality that um, you know the Jacksonville Jaguars are in the same boat. You know they can potentially rest players this weekend. Because the AFC South Championship game is next Sunday between the Jags and Titans, and it's winner's winner takes all. And you know, the Colts are, you know, they've at that point uh, next week they will have been mathematically eliminated for three weeks, you know, and potentially you're you're going to have uh, an AFC South champion that's going to be under 500. The Titans have lost six in a row for the first time since 2015, and that still hasn't mattered, you know, for the Colts. And that's that's just incredibly frustrating it's just been that type of season um you know obviously the offense has performed um under every low expectation that anybody had for him fandom wise um yeah it's just that that's that that's what makes this even worse is that the Colts are having a bad season but the AFC South is so obtainable and yet you know you're still to, to use a bad analogy you're still kind of a Uh, you know, a dot in the rearview mirror in the AFC South race.
2: You know, it's funny, Matt. Well, not funny. Matt Taylor's our guest. I actually felt bad for you. I I felt guilty towards you, truth be told, midweek, because one of the players, one of the very few players outside of the Colts roster that you and I publicly on this airwave have talked about a mutual agreement on, Redundant, is both of us have uh, you know an admiration for the style of play of Derek Carr. And mm-hmm. here all of a sudden this week, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. I, I put poor Matt in a position where he was talking about how he he respects the game of Derek Carr, and now all of a sudden Derek Carr's name is going to be catapulted into the forefront of Colts' prognostication by fans and, and other people. I My thought is this, and I want your opinion on this. My thinking is that I think the world of Derek Carr, I've been very public about my respect for his game. And up until the fact that he's going to be away from his team, I thought he always appeared to be a really good leader. But I don't think the Colts are in a position um, where the best interest is to go after a veteran quarterback again. I, I, I just feel like it's time to reset it and start over with a guy that's going to be your quarterback for more than two to three seasons. Your thoughts?
6: I completely agree with the Derek Carr aspect of things. I mean, th- th- this goes back a long time for me. I mean, this is like 2017 or 18, getting ready to to do one of his games. And I'm thinking I'm getting ready to, you know, I'm, I'm 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 preparing for him on paper, and then seeing him on field. It's like, man, this guy can be my quarterback any time, uh, and he's played with a bunch of different offensive coordinators. A bunch of different head coaches. The defenses around him historically with the Raiders have been awful. So he's having a bad season. There's no question about that. The Raiders are having a bad season. Josh McDaniels is having an uneven first year out there. All of that has, you know, it's the classic case of the quarterback gets more, uh, he gets more blame and he takes more, um, you know, he gets more credit than he deserves. As far as the Colts are concerned, yeah, they're in that situation that they've really been in since two thousand nineteen and you know, you can you can sum them up in two sentences, I think. And I've been saying this for a while as well. I mean, the Colts have been they've been just competitive enough to not be in a position to draft a high end rookie quarterback, right? When you make the playoffs or contend for the playoffs, you're gonna pick in the twenties or the high teens. All right, so that's the first sentence. The other sentence is they've been just promising enough to justify looking for a plug and play veteran. So I think those two sentences sum, where the Colts, uh, sum up where the Colts have been since Andrew Luck's retirement prior to now. And I think when you're 4 10 and 1, you obviously have problems at quarterback, and that's front and center. You know, if you have a to do list in the offseason for the Colts, is to get, you know, find that franchise quarterback of the future, whether that's an existing player with through a trade or an acquisition or the draft or whatever. Um, you know, you got to get him in here, but when you're four, 10 and one, you got bigger issues than just quarterback. And I think the two sentences that I gave you would allude that you're, you're sort of a quarterback away. I don't know that the Colts are a quarterback away any longer because, you know, I think some of their problems and some of their issues have popped up this year, you know, on top of quarterback that have contributed long-winded answer is you know i think it's been a team effort that has contributed to their record and missing the playoffs for the sixth time in eight years
3: he's the voice of the colts matt taylor joining kevin Query at ninety-three five one zero seven five. the fan that's what i almost think could be a positive coming out of this season matt is that the way the season has unfolded is it's shown those that are in charge that maybe the team wasn't as close as they originally thought and it might cause them to do a little more uh Forward thinking or think think things differently the way they you know organize the the roster going forward and whatnot. Um, end of the year, give me a high and give me a low of the Colts season. What was the high highest of highs for you and the lowest of lows? I know we got two games left, but I, I you know what, where are you at there?
6: Yeah, I mean obviously the 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 comeback in Minnesota was a low. i I've, I've never seen anything like that. It was honestly like sort of hectic to describe that in real time. Uh, with the chaos of the crowd and the stadium and just how loud it was and you're looking up frantically between drives. Just, uh, unfortunately, like what what would be the historical context of all of this if it does come to fruition, which it did. So that really sucked, <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the high was the, the Kansas City win back in week number three. And then I'll give you another one, <clears throat> and we kind of talked about this earlier this week on our podcast on, on Colts.com and this is going to sound cheesy and corny, but for me, it was true. It was back before the season started in training camp, you know, there was a lot of optimism and expectations and hope surrounding this team. And it was a good time. And it was that, that first night practice at Grand Park, you know, Saturday in August, and it was beautiful weather. It was like 85 degrees and, like 7,000 people up there, and it was twilight, the sun was going down, and Matt Ryan and uh, Jonathan Taylor, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) Jonathan Taylor addressed the crowd there and and got everybody fired up. And I just go back to that moment sort of, you know, kind of in retrospect, like how did we get here? Was was, was that, you know, being sort of the start of the season with such high hopes and energy and optimism and hope to where we are now with – missing the playoffs and matt ryan's not even the quarterback right now and jonathan taylor's on injured reserve um again i just use the word sobering i mean that was that was a high in the sense that it was a good memory and something to build on and it just didn't come to fruition so it, it was just that type of a season this year for the colts and i think one of the more disappointing campaigns considering you had a good roster on paper you had expectations you had a winnable division and you just came up short
3: Matt Taylor is going to have a heck of a weekend because not only is he going to be calling the Colts and Giants game on Sunday, he's going to be ringing in the New Year on Times Square with the naked cowboy, right? You're going to be down there <laughs> checking everything out?
6: I wouldn't even know how to get to Times Square, to be honest with you. And I also had this feeling, you know, like there's, I don't know, Jake, maybe 10,000 people crammed into, into Times Square on New Year's Eve. Where do those people go to the bathroom?
2: Well, that's we're, that's what I that, that's what I'm saying. You talk to anybody that's been there; that's the one thing they say, right? Is like, I think the Fridays has a bathroom there, and it's like, okay, well, you know, that line started at four. I, you know, I, <laughs> yeah, I, a bunch of people in Depends. <laughs> that's it. Uh,
6: so, I mean, it's kind of cool, but like, the more I think about it, the the you know the 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 more I come to the conclusion, like, it's really not for me. I don't have I don't have any desire to go chase that down. And plus, getting back, we're gonna stay in. I think jersey city across in in in, in new jersey I, I don't know how to get back there so like to me like my middle name is no hassle you know <laughs> that's going to be buried on my tombstone that no hassle taylor so that is all hassle in my opinion so i don't think i'm gonna mess with
3: it yeah my wife wants to do new year's in new york one year and i'm like no thank you you want to do christmas fine but no way in hell am i going new year's eve in times square no thank you hard pass yeah.
6: Yeah, no no question. Yeah, I mean, I'll just watch it on TV or I might just be watching a bowl game or, hell, I might even be asleep. Probably the third option, to be honest with you, because <laughs> it's, my, it's my last chance to sleep in a hotel room by myself without children. There so you go. It's like, a, it's like a 10-hour reprieve for me, and I'll never say this in front of my wife, and I hope she's not listening, but I'm going to miss these road trips where I get a solid double-digit hour sleep and, uh, and feel pretty good the next day. And I, I feel bad saying that because – She's wrangling two kids, but it is what it
2: is, and I like it. Enjoy it and while it Matt, lasts. I-, I got news for you, Matt. I, I virtually guarantee you she ain't listening. <laughs> <laughs> right? Hey, listen, got a- there's,
6: she doesn't she doesn't listen to half the stuff I do, so I feel confident <laughs> right. too. Right.
3: got a she- non-Colts question for you. How do you feel about Tucker Barnhart uh, rocking the Col- Cubs jersey the next couple of years? Yeah.
6: Listen, Tucker Barnhart is an awesome, awesome dude. Great defensive catcher. I still remember in the uh, Reds playoff game against the Atlanta Braves when that game went to like 12 or 13 innings, uh, Tucker Barnhart unfortunately left a lot of people in scoring position. So I'll just leave it at that. But Mm -hmm. I love him as a guy. Great guy.
3: I'm excited. I'm, I'm fine with it. I like it. Also, is the 20-year anniversary of Riverfront Stadium getting demolished? What's your uh, fondest memories from that? I saw the video of that. It was 2002. That video looks like it took place in 1976. I
2: have a theory on that. Mark, that I'll get crazy? to it in a second. Yeah. Matt, what's your favorite Riverfront memory?
6: Probably going to probably going to see Barry Larkin. Uh, he was my favorite player growing up and my dad was our little league coach growing up and we of course had to play for the Reds. So we were the Reds growing up, and so my dad would take our Little League team every summer, like in June, to a game at Riverfront Stadium, and he would hook it up. He would get our Little League team name and all of our names up on the Jumbotron. So, like, just those memories, like, waiting to see our names on the big screen. Like, that was the coolest thing in the world as a 9- and 10-year-old. And just when you walked in, when you walked into Riverfront Stadium, the smell, um, you know, seeing the AstroTurf, right I mean that was just that was the coolest thing in the world and Barry Larkin was my favorite player um remember fond memories of that 1999 team that got so close to the playoffs had that play-in game against the Mets and came up short um so that that would be my fondest memory of going over to Cincinnati and the middle of the summer is smoking hot right there on the river you got the AstroTurf which is not helping in terms of the heat but great memories growing up watching baseball as a kid in in, uh, Cincinnati at Riverfront.
2: Matt will be on the call with the Colts and the New York Giants coming up on Sunday. You can hear it right here on this radio station. Matt, happy New Year to you. Appreciate the time. We'll talk to you next week, all right? All right, guys. Happy New Year. Matt Thanks, Taylor Matt. on the Payless Suckers Hotline. I have an interesting theory, Mark, that you mentioned about uh, – and it took me a while to to think of this or to to, to grasp this, but when I – for example, when I worked at Channel 6, I would – all the time, go down to the news archives down in the basement and pull video. I think part of the reason why so much of the history of this town and the nuances of different stories in this town seem recent to me is because when I worked at Channel 6, I was fascinated by it. So I would go down to the library, basically, mm-hmm. and I would pull you know, you name a story that happened in this city that we would hear about all the time. It, you know, notorious stories, positive stories, whatever it might be. And every once in a while, I would just go down after the shows at like midnight, and I would pull the news archives of that day, and I'd watch it all. I'd watch all the coverage of the Pan Am games or the Marjorie Jackson murder or the, you know, I, I mean, the, the Pacers ABA championships, a, any number of things uh-huh. over the course of time. And... In the 1970s, things were shot on film. Then by the early 80s, they were shot on three-quarter-inch film. That transitioned into beta tapes by the late 80s, early 90s. And then towards the late 90s, finally got into digital, what we call DVC Pro. But DVC Pro was being adapted into the like 2000s, 2001, 2002. Not everybody was using digital yet. And to me, what is fascinating is... I know I use that word a lot. But what is really intriguing to me is different – starting in about 2002, you mentioned the, the implosion of Riverfront Stadium. That probably what you saw was a beta tape or a t- television station that had not yet fully immersed over to DZ, DVC Pro. 9-11, whenever you see all the footage from 9-11, to me what is interesting is that is the first – Major news event that the predominant because New York City was kind of the forefront of those things. Most of that was archived on digital video, which has no deterioration of quality. And so it looks as crystal clear when you watch video of that today as it did then. And so many things that you see when you watch, even like highlights of Michael Jordan or highlights of even Pate Manning early in his career. It looks dated because the the film starts to deteriorate. Mm-hmm. Whereas Charlie, who's sitting here, who goes to IU, his entire life, everything that's happened in his lifetime, will be chronicled on digital quality, and thus it will look the same when he's seventy five as when he was ten.
3: Yeah, I mean, you watch an NFL game from even like yeah mid two thousands. Like, was this like nineteen eighty seven when yep. this was recorded? Totally. What is this? Yep, absolutely. It's very bizarre. Uh, interesting. Time for though. a quick morning
1: check down, right? Yep. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. NBA last night, Pacers over the Cavs,
2: 135-126. Tyrese Halliburton had 29, Buddy Hill with 25. Cavs on a three-game losing streak. Donovan Mitchell did have 28. Jarrett Allen had 19 points, 14 rebounds, and... An unsuccessful attempt to block a dunk from Aaron Nesmith, who had 22 for the Blue.
3: Yeah, Buddy Hield also the fastest three pointer in NBA history. Literally got the ball, turned around, and Scottie's shot it. He's getting nervous because that's a pop quiz. Question. Oh, is it? I haven't looked at the pop that's quiz yet. Pop sorry, question. sorry. Well, it's Freebie Friday anyway. It's the last show of the year. Okay, see, it's question one. It's fine. I'm not. I'm not Jake giving out hints on question five when the guy's four for four. Sounds like Minnesota. Anyway, Pacers get back on the court tomorrow. They take on the Clippers to round out 2022. They'll try to get a three-game, losing streak, or three-game winning streak to start the new year. Thank you. Cowboys beat the Titans yesterday, 27-13 on Thursday Night Football. Titans rest a bunch of players. They get ready for their Week 18 showdown for the division against the Jacksonville Jaguars. All eyes will be on that. That's going to be your Sunday night game, folks. I'm telling you right now. It hasn't been announced officially. That'll be the Sunday Night Football game next week. Mark it down.
2: College basketball last night. It was Purdue over Florida A&M, 82-49. Boilers now 13-0. Zach Eady had 14 points, 10 boards. Trey Kaufman-Wren continues to play well. He had 11. It was Providence over Butler, 72-52. Dogs still winless in the Big East at 0-3. They're 8-6 overall. Uh, Robert Morris, 75-70 over Purdue-Fort Wayne. It was Indiana State, 91-63. How about the trees? Indiana State How about them trees? 3-0 in the Mobile. They are 10-4 overall. Southern Indiana- Uh, A win over Southeast Missouri and Drake over Valpo, 68-63.
3: Pop quiz time, Mark? Sure. Uh, Real quick, just notes, though. uh, Soccer legend Pele passing away at the age of 82. Uh, Big Ten commissioner Kevin Warren, one of the front-runner finalists for the Chicago Bears CEO president job. That was pretty interesting to me. So pretty interesting there. We do a freebie Friday. It's a pop quiz. It's the last one of the year. You'll get a Jiffy Lube oil change just for participating. 317-239-1070. You're listening to Kevin Inquiry on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
1: Have you studied? Can you handle the pressure? Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since
3: 1985. That's right. It's the Jiffy Lube oil change. It's pop Quiz. It's the last one of the year. Last one of 2020, 2022. Yeah. Going in 2023. Uh, 317-239-1070 winner. Or just for participating in a Jiffy Lube oil change. So, doesn't matter if you go 5 for 5, doesn't matter if you go 1 for 5, doesn't matter if you go 0 oh for 5. You're still going to get an oil change. So, bring in 2023 with some nice new oil in your car. You could use it especially this time of year. Jake, do you want to pick the number? I'll go with number 4. Any significance? No, not really. Just came to you? It did. 4, the number of servings of mayo you're going to have during the Deuce yeah, Mayo not today. Not hardly. Not hardly. Who's, on, who's number four? We've got Michael. Michael. What's up, man? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you guys. <laughs> Michael, you sound thrilled to be here. I am ecstatic. I can tell. It have is you... Friday, the only day I call in.
2: Have you called the program before, Michael?
3: I have not. Okay. Are you always one aspirin away from a coma? <laughs> I'm going to have to ask you to settle down, sir. You're getting a little too rowdy. Michael,
4: can we, we play We were up a little too late last
2: night There you go Can we play get to know your listener, Michael? It's, we've had a lot of success with this Kids love it Can we get, will you, Are you willing of to participate? Course. Okay uh, Michael, if you don't mind me asking Who was president in the year you were born? Uh, 1995 Well, oh, boy, that's a tough one I mean, you gotta go all the way back Like three administrations ago, right? 1995 would have been Bill Clinton, sir Oh, the best one. Okay. Uh, Michael, um, you were in high school, and your team scored a basket, and you chanted out, let's go. Like, for me, it was, let's go, Panthers. For you, it was, let's go, what?
6: Let's go, Tigers. Tigers. Our school actually got sued by the Missouri College for likeness.
2: They were, using, were they using the Missouri – Head the, the little tiger head the little the, the illustration. Yes. Okay. And as far as I know, we still have that. But <laughs> in that years. So either they either they won the lawsuit or they're just hoping Missouri doesn't notice, right? That's my guess. I'm trying to think At, who the Tigers are? Lebanon is it? Lebanon? Warsaw. Mm. Warsaw. Warsaw. That's cool. Indiana. Okay. Can you name the two Mr. Basketballs from Warsaw? Uh. One of them, no. I think, was the year you were born.
3: Um. Okay.
6: Oh, the uh, oh, who were those
2: kids? We had two kids, the Turner kids. That would that be. Duke. That would be. Well, you're thinking. Of, are you thinking of the Plumleys? Ah, the Plumlee. No, the 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 Mr. Orcus basketballs sister. would be Jeff Gross. And Scotty Johnson's here, so he can correct me if I'm wrong. I believe it's Jeff Gross and Kevin Alt, both played at yep. Warsaw and were Mr. <laughs> Basketball. Uh, all right, well, based on this f- flying start to get to know your listener, Michael, would you like to begin the pop quiz? <laughs> of course. Okay, that would be uh, – you could either have Jake, that would be me, or Mark lead you off with question number one. Which would you choose? Can I have Coach – dan dockage lead me off with question one well i would say that's unlikely
6: okay um
2: i will go with jake all right here we go question number one uh buddy healed hit a three-pointer with just three seconds gone in the first quarter of last night's pacers win over cleveland since the nba began tracking play-by-play in the 96-97 season his basket is the fastest three-point make in a game Who held the old record of making a three-pointer just four seconds in to an NBA game, keeping the record within the franchise? Russell Westbrook, Reggie Miller, Steph Curry, or Kyle Korver? Let's
1: go Steph Curry.
3: Okay, okay. Luka Doncic had a 35-point, 12-rebound, 13-assist triple-double last night as the Mavericks beat Houston. It's Doncic's 15th career 35-point triple-double. The other, placer, pay, the other players in Mavericks franchise history have combined for one 35-point triple-double. Who did it? Nert, Dirk, Steve Nash, Jason Kidd, Mark Aguirre. Let's go
6: with uh, Dirk Nowitzki.
2: Uh, The Titans lost their sixth straight game last night as they fell to the Cowboys. With the Jaguars losing five straight games earlier this season, the winner of the AFC South will become just the fourth team in the Super Bowl era to make the playoffs despite having a losing streak of five games or more. Which of the following did not lose five in a row or more during a playoff season? The 2016 Houston Texans, the 2020 Washington football team, the 1970 Cincinnati Bengals, or the 2014 Carolina Panthers? Let's go
6: 2014
3: with the Panthers. Okay. All right. You're off to a roaring start. Uh, 60 years ago today, the Green Bay Packers, boo, beat the New York Giants 16-7 to win the NFL championship at Yankee Stadium. Name the future Hall of Famer Who's named the game's most valuable player? Bart Starr, Ray Nitschke, Paul Hornig, or Jim Taylor? Bart Starr. Okay. Um michael warsaw in
2: 1987 had an indiana all-star who was from the bahamas and an exchange student who actually didn't play that calendar year but still made the all-star team before going on to the university of north carolina his last name is that of a sly animal and he married a famous actress do you know who that would be no but are you really from warsaw michael (laughs) <laughs> yes, I am. And that's Warsaw, Fortnite. Poland or Warsaw, Indiana? <laughs> All right, House question. Community Hospital. Question number five. The fourth-ranked IU women's basketball team suffered its first loss of the season last night. Name the team that has green in its colors that knocked off the 12-1 and Hoosiers. Purdue, Ohio State, Wisconsin, or Michigan State? Michigan State. Mm, hallelujah. Okay. Uh, well, you got one of five, Michael. Nice thank God job it's there. Free,
3: thank God it's freebie Friday.
2: C- clearly one who pays attention to current events. Uh, Reggie Miller was the correct answer for question number one. It happened on March fifth, 2000 against the Golden State Warriors. Uh, he had gone, I believe, with uh, Seth Curry, despite Steph Curry being the option. Jason Kidd, the 2016 Houston Texans. Ray Nitschke, the other answers, along with Michigan State. And, of course, Rick Ford Box. Michael, stay on the line because you do win the Jiffy Lube prize pack. That was That's a... what I love about Friday. <laughs> there you go, Michael. I appreciate it. That was a fine performance, Mark.
3: Oh, yeah. Perfect way to end the 2022 Kevin and Quarry calendar. That's right. One for five. That's all right. But we'll put a bow tie on this whole thing. We'll put some Colts and Giants predictions. Maybe some – we've got the playoffs started for the college football weekend, too. Might have to give some predictions there, too. So we'll give you all that. Get you set for the new year weekend. It's Kevin Inquiry, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan.
1: You are listening to Kevin Inquiry on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. I guess technically for the final time this year, right?
3: Yep. Last show, unless you're planning to come in tomorrow. Uh, I'd say that's unlikely. Okay. Well then, yes, it's our last show then. Last fifteen minutes of this dog and pony show. Uh, usually, we save this segment for uh, predictions and whatnot for Colts Giants, but we've also we've also got some college football playoff semifinals to go over and a couple other things. Anywhere you want to start, particularly wherever Do you have like. any predictions. I, I I got a text from Kevin. I'm surprised, um, reached out to him. For his Colts-Giants prediction, he gave me that, so we have that as well. So, Kevin participating, even though he's in Florida right now. Hopefully not choking on any water like he was the other day on the show. Um, Yeah, so we've got the college football semifinals games going. I just lost. There it is. Uh, Not till Saturday night. TCU against Michigan. Michigan, a little over a touchdown favorite in that one. Who do you like in Michigan TCU?
2: Here's the thing. Michigan has probably the most impressive win of anybody in the pl- in the country by going in and absolutely manhandling Ohio State at Ohio State. But unfair as it may be, I'm still not totally sold on Michigan.
3: I'm, the, I'm right there with you.
2: It's not like I've seen a lot of TCU. I, it would be disingenuous to say that I have. But I just feel like Michigan, one way or another, the planting of the flag in Ohio Stadium is going to come back to haunt Michigan. Either because I think Michigan doing that, they partially it was because they just assumed that they had just pushed Ohio State out of the playoff. And now Michigan has to have it in the back of their mind of like, wait a minute. If if we win, we might have to play Ohio State again after we just did that. Yeah. And that's going to come back to haunt them one of two ways. Either because they're going to get into the national championship game and get blown off the field by Ohio State. Or because it's going to create in them an anxiety or a look past TCU that could bite them. So I will go with TCU.
3: Yeah, I think Michigan thought that was that planting the flag was the dagger in the heart to the Buckeyes, and it, it was not. I will still take Michigan in that game. I do like TCU, but I will take Michigan. But I think the Ohio State-Georgia game, I think that's going to be kind of be like the national championship game. Like, that's the national championship game matchup I would have liked to have seen, but since they're both playing each other, Uh, I think whoever wins this Ohio State-Georgia game will go on to win the national championship. Ohio State-Georgia, you've been riding the Buckeyes since the summertime. You said they were going to be the national champions despite you're not too big a fan of OSU. You still staying the course, or are you going with Georgia?
2: Ohio State is the mayonnaise of college football teams, right? The Hellmans, the Dukes. All of it. The Miracle Whips. All of it. Um, Ohio State is the most offensively gifted team in the country. Ohio State's issue, and that's probably the wrong word, but their, their challenge has been C.J. Stroud is a phenomenal talent. And I mentioned this yesterday. One of the things with C.J. Stroud I think that probably has held Ohio State back at times is especially in today's football when he drops back and it's not often that that he's in danger of a coverage sack because he has so many elite receivers to throw to and i know one of them's not going to be there but cj stroud at times i think fails to tuck the ball and go ahead and run for five yards because his arm is so good he waits to be able to then make the home run throw and the home run reception. Uh I think they've worked a lot on that with him. And I think that they will incorporate that or try to, um, which could open up things. They're going to have to run the ball a little bit against Georgia. But I think Ohio State's offensively so good, and they've had time off and i i just i think michigan woke him up a little bit i said at the beginning of the year ohio state's going to win the national championship so i've got to stick by it i think ohio state beats georgia and then if it's tcu i think they beat tcu by 7 to 10 if it's michigan i really think partially just based on the law of averages, partially based on the rivalry. I really think if they play Georgia, or I mean, excuse me, if Ohio State plays um, Michigan, that they beat them by 17. Mm -hmm. And Ryan Day, it's crazy to think this, but I think there might be some reality in it. Ryan Day goes from being two wins from winning the national championship and possibly one loss from people questioning whether or not they should go out and get somebody else. You know, whether it be Mike Vrabel, whether it be wait a year and get Luke Fickle after a year at Wisconsin and pluck him away and pay the buyout, Ohio State can pay it. One of the things for Ohio State, I've talked to people recently about this, that surprising, but Ohio State apparently has a couple of players they are in on and a couple of players who have verbaled to them that they feel they may lose in both areas because of losing out to NIL money offers. Two bigger, like SEC and like Texas and those schools. Crazy as that sounds, but that is a concern, as I understand it, within Ohio State is is the the recruiting in the NIL. But I think Ohio State. I think when we are talking about this on Monday, we are going to be previewing Ohio State playing in the national championship
3: against TCU.
2: I'll, I'll say TCU. I think it's irrelevant who Ohio State's national championship. To your point, is the Georgia game, right?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, that's my national. Have you championship been on the I campus of TCU? I have not. Unbelievable. Yeah.
2: I, I I don't know. A how. lot of those campuses
3: are crazy, but yeah, I've heard b- nothing but good things. The three campuses in my life that I've
2: stepped foot on and thought to myself, "Okay, I, this would be a done deal," unless I I guess was being recruited by the other two are Stanford, UCLA, and TCU. TCU's campus is like I mean, it is so immaculate. I mean, I think it's like seventy grand to go to school there or uh-huh. something crazy. But it's it's beautiful. It's a nice
3: school. I will have to check it out sometime. No, I haven't been there. I saw Baylor before and all that, but they no. have a
2: bear at Baylor.
3: Do they? I didn't know that. Did you know that? An actual bear. I knew the mascot was
2: the. They you have think, a live bear a live that bear? lives on the campus at Baylor. That could be problematic. Well, so I when I was there, I mean, he's got like a, a little like a little. What's the word I'm looking for? Um Habitat. Like a pen? He has like a Tatic? little habitat, right? Yeah. And so I was, I was driving through Waco, and I'm like, let's go see the Baylor campus. And I'm like, you know, they have a live bear on the campus. So we went, and he's got a little cave and whatnot, and he was in there. You could see like his little hunk of fur, but I'm like, well, let's wait around for a bit and see if he comes out and you know, get some some food or something, and like. 15 minutes later i realized you know what i think he's hibernating
3: yeah that could be a good guess like he's, he's not gonna be out for, hey like, bear come on where are you he's
2: not gonna be out for four months right i'm only like, in waco for another eight hours I, he's like listen pal i sleep from october to march yeah what's this dummy thinking what do you what do you want from me but yeah, they got a live bear on the Baylor campus. Yeah, you know,
3: uh, I think C.J. Stroud is good, but I think the Georgia defense is great, so they I'm are going good. to give the Georgia Bulldogs the edge there, and okay. I think it's going to be Georgia against Michigan.
2: Don't get me wrong; I'm predicting Ohio State, but I will be happily wrong.
3: If oh, happens. I know you'll be happily wrong. Yeah, but uh, okay. Before we get to the Colts and Giants, I know everyone's feverishly waiting that prediction. Uh, any NFL games the rest of the way that. Uh, you feel overly strong with, points line-wise, winners? How you feel about those?
2: No, there, there are a couple of games, I guess, that are intriguing. You know, to be honest with you, the battle of L.A. is intriguing because the Chargers, now that they've, they've clinched a playoff spot, the Rams actually kind of have a little bit of a tick with Baker Mayfield, as odd as that sounds. So I don't know that the Chargers – I don't know that they lose that game, but you know, I'm not sure what the spread is. But we we'll, curious to see if they cover because the Rams have, have shown a little bit of offense here. Um, the Jets and the Seahawks is interesting because they're both kind of surprising teams that you didn't think would be here in contention still. To, I feel
3: like they're both going the wrong
2: direction. Uh, that's though. hard. To, yeah, but which means one of them's got to right get back in the right lane. Right? You would think,
3: unless they tie.
2: There are a lot of dog games, man. I mean, they're yeah, like we're at that time of year. Match-ups.
3: Yeah, I think the Niners are going to blow the Raiders off the face of the earth. Uh, Ravens, Steelers, and Sunday Night Football. I'm kind of sick of seeing the Steelers. I feel like the Steelers kind of got the Colts treatment this year, where they're in a lot of primetime games. I'm like, ugh, no. Steelers thank you.
2: are still going to go 500. Mike Tomlin's never been under 500. That might right?
3: happen. I don't know if Lamar Jackson's coming back yet, so we'll see there. Uh, Dolphins against the Patriots. The Patriots are still favored to beat the Dolphins. I know, Te- I know, Tua's out, and they're going with Teddy Bridgewater. But I've always liked T- Teddy Bridgewater. I don't think they lose that much of a step. And I think the Dolphins will win that one. So if you're if you're looking for something to play, take the Dolphins uh, and and the points right there against the Patriots. Uh, the big one will be Monday night Bills and Bengals. I can't wait for that one.
2: Yeah, it's gonna be a great game. Um, boy, the Bills have a lot of resiliency, and they've got to overcome some of it again. Obviously, just I mean everything going on in the city of Buffalo, and you know I'm sure there've got to be some travel issues and things that are a challenge. But Buffalo's, the Bills have overcome that so far this year. But Cincinnati's playing really well. Playing um, really well. I mean, Cincinnati. Getting my, hot
3: at the right time.
2: Yeah, but then again, Mark, a lot of times the team that is hot at the right time is the one that everybody assumes is, is like going to roll through everything. Yeah. And it, it, that's not always the case, right?
3: No. I mean, I like the Bengals' offense. I'm still not sold on In other on words, defense. Like, would it
2: surprise you if Cincinnati gets in the playoffs and gets beat in the opening round by you know, the Chargers?
3: uh boy i think that actually would surprise me because i I think the chargers chargers have struggled but i think if they if they lost to the chargers that would surprise me a little bit but herbert's really good he is good man
2: arm talent buddy that's right that's right right, uh and then of course the big one that the entire nation will be watching with Holding their breath, the Colts and the New York Giants. It's yeah, that'll be like. Their nose, probably.
3: I mean, if OJ Simpson was in a Ford Bronco right now, they would not dump out of Colts Giants. They're like, we gotta stick with this one. This is a barn burner here. <laughs> that is true. Colts Giants, Kevin Bowen has weighed in. Uh, he texted me yesterday when I asked for his prediction from Florida. Uh, needless to say, <laughs> the way I think we're all going to go here, uh, he is not very confident in the Colts. He's got the Giants winning 23-16. 16 points for the Colts. Seems lofty at this point in the season.
2: How much do we actually know about the New York Giants?
3: I know that Brian Dable is their head coach, and I know that Daniel Jones is in a contract here and that Saquon Barkley is doing okay. I And uh, Thibodeau is really good. That's about all I know.
2: The Giants, by reputation, I think of as being a great defensive team. Just by reputation. It's not to say that they are. I feel bad for Scotty because he's writing me a message on the board, but that red ink cannot be seen from here to save <laughs> my life. Um, I just don't see the Colts being able to score enough points, regardless of what the Giants' defense is like.
3: And it's big, it, this game actually means something for the Giants. 26-9, nine
2: the Giants win. Twenty-six to nine. As
3: Scotty's saying, the, the, it actually matters for the Giants. Giants win and they're in. So uh, give me the, the give me the Giants twenty-four to ten. That's it for Kevin and Query. That's twenty twenty-two all wrapped up. We will see you in twenty twenty-three. Kevin's back on Monday. Jake Query here. Thanks to Greg Regstroff, Matt Taylor as well. It's Kevin and 93.5, 5, 107.5. The fan have a safe and happy New Year, everybody.